Hey guys, this is Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. Getting closer to Halloween. I'm counting down the days. I'm not really. (laughs) (laughs) I think I am also just excited because I'm doing something for Halloween this year. So I'm not. I mean, other than taking my daughter to her multiple things that they have for children. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear about your episode today because we get to get into some more fun territory. Yes, I'm excited for it. (laughs) We love our true crime stories, but we also like when we get to do something a little bit lighter. Yes. And that's this episode. Yep. And I didn't tell her until yesterday. Yep. (laughs) What I was doing. I kept it a secret because I feel like when I tell people what I'm doing, then all of a sudden I'm like, I don't like it anymore. Then you start (laughs) (laughs) self-doubting. So not this time. I actually stuck with it this time. And yeah, I think you will all like it. It was something I wanted to do, I think, a couple of months ago, but it was based on more one person. And when I started to research them, it it was not what I thought it was. (laughs) And so now I'm doing it differently. Yay. Yay. Yesterday was fun. I was at Elizabeth's, the mysterious Elizabeth in our life. (laughs) The whole reason we know each other. (laughs) There were, I believe, six moms, seven moms and the children. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth has this outdoor white screen to watch movies on that she puts on her fence. And we blew up a bed for all the kids to lay on outside. And yeah, it was a fun night. It was hocus pocus. Which we've all seen way too many times. So a lot of us got bored. I know, right? Some of these movies that you think are so great, you're like, yes, let's watch it. And then you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I love movies and even my most favorite movies. I can't watch over and over and over. I really can't. It really is of the season. Even my daughter, she was getting a little bored with it because she's seen Hocus Pocus 2 so much recently that she was just not in the mood. When your friends are there, you don't want to just sit there and watch a movie. You want to go play. You want to run around. You want to play with your friend's toys. So So it makes sense. At one point, all the little kids went inside to play with Elizabeth's enormous amount of slime that she has (laughs) in her house. And all the moms just stayed outside and kind of finished Hocus Pocus. That's cool. (laughs) It was fun, though. It was a really nice night last night, too. I went to a concert. I've been going to concerts so much this year. It's like my new thing. Every time I see a band that I even remotely like, I buy tickets because life is short and it's (laughs) what I want to do. It is. So, yeah, I went with my kid. Um, We went to Fiddler's Green, which is an outdoor venue, and we saw the band, the 1975, and they were so much fun. Yeah, I I would describe them as kind of 80s style pop, just really fun. It was a sold out show, so it was packed out, Uh, but the crowd was really cool and and perfect the best time yeah mm-hmm. so yeah I had a good weekend my parents were in town on Friday that's right got to see them hadn't seen them in a while in person and so we all went out to dinner Friday night hi Kendra's parents <laughs> yes they're still <laughs> listening and yeah it was a good time and that's why we're recording again on a Sunday <laughs> right it's because that was the only time that worked with my schedule and my kids schedule to hang out with my parents I mean have we been doing Fridays no <laughs> <laughs> Fridays are supposed to be our day but we keep changing it You know, our lives are busy and we're always trying to figure out how to fit it in. Even if you look at the calendar, I think for the next month, we're not recording on a Friday. We're not. (laughs) I think Sunday has become kind of our new day lately. I mean, it's a good day. It's the end of the week. It kind of gives us a break and it's not feeling so chaotic all the time. Yeah. And it gives us more time to write episodes when we're trying to work during the week. And I ended up writing my episode, I think, on Saturday. (laughs) I wrote it all week, but it's nice not having to record right after I'm done doing all my other jobs yes. and my head's all chaotic, even yeah. though I still can't seem to talk some days. So 
I've also been up since 2.30, so we got home late, but my cat woke me up with her demon meowing in the middle of the <laughs> night, and I couldn't fall back asleep. Well, so. the problem is, when you're a mom or you're a busy working person, when you get woken up in the middle of the night, all of a sudden your brain starts thinking about yes. other things, and yep. you can't go back to sleep. That happens if I get any kind of startle in the middle of the night. It sucks. So I laid there for, I believe, like four, four and a half hours, and then I got up and just started doing <laughs> chores <laughs> and preparing for you to come here this morning. So here we yeah. are. So I thought we would take one of the many characters we often see around Halloween time. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot to choose from. We have clowns, (laughs) witches, werewolves, ghosts, you name it. I don't know about you, but vampires have always intrigued me. Always. I I have a special place in my heart. Me too. I was (laughs) obsessed with them when I was in junior high, I think is when my obsession started. So I'm going to be taking a deep dive into vampires today for our Halloween episode. I love it. So I have a question for you. What was your first vampire movie that you remember watching? Mm, I think it was The Lost Boys. Me too. Really? Yeah, Yeah, because that was like the big one when we were younger. Yeah. Because that was the 80s. And then I remember Bram Stoker. Dracula right and Winona Ryder and mm-hmm. I was just in love with that movie like the whole aesthetic of yep. it everything and I think that sucked me into that world yeah was we're Dracula gonna, we're gonna talk about the influence of everything too because how do you talk about vampires I really wasn't sure how to even write an entire episode about vampires but I'm just really diving into every part of it cool. maybe a couple things I'm not gonna touch because then it's too far out yeah I'm really curious how it came about because there's always truth to mythology right yeah. like for somebody to just come up with the idea of a vampire. I mean, there's arguments to every side and we'll talk about some of them, but I love it all. I remember wanting a vampire to find me (laughs) when I was younger. tell me that I wasn't meant for this human world and make me immortal. Yes. Or if I was on my deathbed, that one of them would come to me at the last second and save my life. I would be well again. I would even think about what would I tell my family? Do I just disappear? Do I get to come back? (laughs) Do I just pretend I'm a normal person like we have in modern day vampire stories? Right. If vampires are in fact real and act semi like normal people, I'm still up for it if I'm dying. Yes. Cure me. If I have cancer, I need a vampire to show up outside my window. And thank you very much. (laughs) I don't know. Come my way. Ask if I want to live longer and I might join your brood. Yes. (laughs) But consent is important. (laughs) Yeah, don't do it without asking. But it's fascinating. Not the people blood sucking part. That's the worst part, obviously. But the immortality. They always make it so romantic. Like he wants you to be with him forever. He's waited for you for a thousand years. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I watch True Blood. (laughs) Yes, True Blood. I love True Blood. And it's always interesting how every vampire seems rich beyond means and their youthful looks never go away. As long as they're well nourished. Otherwise, they look like the Crypt Keeper. Right. Then they like (laughs) prune up. (laughs) I remember reading this comment online, some kind of conversation that was going on about vampires. And someone was talking about a vampire that had been alive for 200 years. And someone was like, oh, well, that doesn't mean they're rich. And then another person replied and said, well, if you've been alive for 200 years and you ain't banking it, you might as well die. (laughs) 
<laughs> like right? true. You, you could should have figured it out. I always loved vampire stories where vampires are presented with the ability to manipulate someone's thoughts. Yes. So then it would be clear why so many are wealthy. They can go take someone's bank account. <laughs> and they're like, sure, take all my money. Go bank rob and they just have all the money. And in they the could also just, you know, get their name on the bank account and then kill that person and True. it's all theirs. And I'm yep. sh- I think it's in some of the stories that they take advantage of people like that. Some yeah. of the, you know, bad vampires. There's always the good vampires. They're conflicted. Right. <laughs> they don't We're gonna be talk a, monster, a lot about that. But then you've got the other ones that are like, Yeah, I'm a fucking vampire. I can go do whatever yep. I want. I'm better than humans. They are my cattle or whatever. Yep. But the truth about vampires, should they exist, is probably not as glamorous and romantic as Hollywood has made them out to be. I just burst my bubble. Sorry. No Edward Cullen lookalike is waiting in the wings for us. Mm. Damon or Stefan Salvatore. <laughs> They're not looking for their next Elena in one of us. No. <laughs> They're probably just more monstrous than we could imagine. Maybe. Or they really are just like our next door neighbor. Yeah. And they have consensual blood sucking relationships with other people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's modern day vampires, right? Yeah. He has a normal job, gets along with everyone and is friends with those who are willing to look past his fangs that show up every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to talk all things vampires. So let's go back in time and look at vampires throughout history. What is the earliest record we have of vampires? Okay. What are the stories? Who are the people? Were vampires created in the past as a horror myth to keep people in fear? Or was it common experiences worldwide that finally gave it a name? What influence has literature and cinema had on our image of vampires? And are there vampires today? Yes. Okay, here we go. Let's do it. Legends of vampires have existed for millennia. Tales of the undead consuming the blood and flesh of the living have been found in nearly every culture for centuries. That's crazy. Before vampires as we know them today, much of the history is more about vampire-like creatures, demons, or blood-sucking spirits. Mm -hmm. While all these ancient myths may not have the same characteristics as modern vampires, they are the earliest examples of the undead preying on the living. The origin of the vampire is a blur between mythological creatures, spirituality, and everywhere you go, the story is a little bit different. Okay, that makes sense. Let's talk about some of those before the more human-like vampires start to emerge throughout history. Okay. I'm not going to talk about all vampire folklore. Many have been connected to the origin of vampires, but some don't seem to have any of the main characteristics of vampires. For instance blood. Right. Vampires want blood. That's how we know them. Mm -hmm. Some of these legends have nothing to do with blood, so I'm going to exclude them. Although if you were to go research the origins of vampires, you're going to see a bunch of different spirits and things included. I was about to say, it's just spirits with fangs or something? (laughs) No, I really don't even know why some of these are included. Yeah. But I think they just started to throw everything in there at one point. (laughs) (laughs) But the point of a vampire, as we know it, is tied to this life force, blood. They are dead. They no longer have blood pumping through their veins and heart. So to continue living this sort of cursed immortality, they need blood to live undead. For instance, the Yuri from Japan, they're on this list. We've talked about them before in the Aoki Gahara Forest episode. Right. The Yuri are on this list of origins for the vampire, but I wouldn't include them. No, they're just just an example. Yeah, they're just vengeful spirits. Right. So I'm going to go through this sort of as a list because I'm covering the entire world. (laughs) So I can't go into it in detail as much as I would probably like to. But this is one episode. (laughs) (laughs) Blood drinking demons are found throughout ancient Mesopotamia. It's actually one of the first civilizations to mention such demons. And that was the Persians. 
In ancient Babylonia, we have Lelutu or Lilith. Lilith. Yeah, I've heard of Lilith. She's been used in some of the shows. She's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. A primordial she-demon and first wife of Adam, Lilith is depicted as living off of the blood of babies. She refused to be Adam's subordinate, so she was banished from the Garden of Eden by God and became the queen of demons. So she was the original independent woman. She was, (laughs) yes. So maybe she should be a goddess. I don't know. Outside of that, she was believed to be a beautiful and fertile woman, a harlot, or a oh. vampire. <laughs> she was a type of spirit, and in spirit form, she was an anthropomorphic bird-footed wind or night demon. Okay. And she was often described as a sexual predator who subsisted on the blood of babies and their mothers. So not just babies. But how does that make you a sexual predator? What else was she doing to them? Well, she was just sexual in the way of how she wanted her men toys, but that's yes. what subsisted her is baby blood and mother blood. Mothers okay. and babies are a focus in a lot of vampire lore. These things back yeah, then. That's sad. Yes, it is. <laughs> That is a broad overview of some of the main beliefs when it comes to her. She really deserves her own episode because yeah. I can go into so much about her. That would be cool. You could do a vampire series. But then I feel like I'll become Ash and Elena for Morbid and I'll just, you know how they do Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, yeah. I'll do Vampire Diaries <laughs> and Twilight or something. That's our spinoff show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little fan over here. But I've also been called a vampire. I'm very white. You are. I can't be in the sun. That's true. You're allergic to the sun. I do have fangs. Although they've worn down over the years. When I was getting Invisalign earlier in life, uh-huh. they were like, once you're done, do you want us to saw those down? I'm like, hell no. <laughs> those are my babies. They're like, that's how I get my blood at night. But since then, because that was when I think I was in my early 20s, they've already like gone down. Gone down on their own from yeah. eating and everything over the years. Eating. And as a mom, you open everything with your teeth. Yeah. So they're not as pointy as they used to be. And you just don't have time to run around at night and suck blood like you used to. I don't. <laughs> once you became a mom. Yeah. I had to become a vegetarian vegetarian because I had a child and I didn't want to eat her every day. <laughs> had to pack that <laughs> hobby up. <laughs> the sacrifices we make. I know, damn it. <laughs> In ancient Egypt, Sekhmet was the daughter of the sun god, mm. a very important goddess in Egyptian pantheon. She had many powers. She could breathe fire and cause plagues. However, she would also do the opposite and ward off disease and heal the sick. I guess it depended on her temperament of the day. Okay. So you want to be on the good side. She had the head of a lioness and she wore a sun disc and uraeus on her head. She had a thirst for blood. And at one point, she almost destroyed all of humanity. Mm. Her thirst was so great that gods came together and held an intervention for her. (laughs) Okay. Ra, the sun god, and other gods devised a plan to fill a lake with beer. Beer. That they made red. And she drank it all up. And it wasn't blood. And she gave up. And she got drunk. She was so drunk. She was like, fuck it. You know what? I'll just be an alcoholic now. (laughs) (laughs) This stuff's better than blood. (laughs) So she decided to scale back and she was appeased by drinking wine that was mixed with animal or human blood and just stopped being so thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> I am already seeing a pattern here that vampires started as women. I know. That's but then they become men. Because of the patriarchy. <laughs> I know. I mean, they even took our jobs away <laughs> as vampires. I mean, we were always the most powerful. Come on. And then they were like, wait a minute, we got to tone this down. Lilith was like, you can't control me and I don't want to be one of two women, Adam. <laughs> She's like, I am a jealous woman. And if you don't choose me, I will not be an option. Bye. I will run the underworld. (laughs) And now I'm going to go eat babies and mothers. That's kind of weird. It's because that's another life force. A mother, maybe a pregnant mom, and then a baby that's brand new. It's not corrupt. It has 
a different air to it. They taste better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's like the finest wine of it's all like veal. The you know, people like veal better Poor than beef babies. because it's babies or lamb. Okay, we can't go down that road again talking about what we should not eat. <laughs> <laughs> In early Jewish tradition, we have the aluka. The aluka is a living human being, but also a creature that can shapeshift into a wolf or fly. Mm. Without blood, it will die. If it does die, and this is a little different from some of the other stories, you can stop this vampire from becoming a demon okay. by burying it with dirt stuffed in its mouth. Okay. We're, we're going to go into vampire burial stuff a lot in here. So right. That's just and we've a heard difference. some of these. Yeah. Right. Okay. In Greek mythology, Lamia was a female demon mm-hmm. who preyed on children, sucking their blood, and she was depicted as having an upper body of a woman, but a lower body of a serpent. Okay. She shapeshifted as well into a beautiful woman that lured her victims in. She went after children because her own children were slaughtered. I guess Lamia was Zeus's mistress. Oh. And okay. Zeus's wife, Hera, she did not appreciate that. And she killed <laughs> she all killed. her children. Oh. So this was a vengeful situation. So then she's like, I'm going to go take I'm gonna kill all the all children. children. Yeah. You took mine. No children shall be alive anywhere. Okay. Ever. Then we have the Avertok of Ireland. There is a legend of a little evil undead dwarf that wreaks havoc and (laughs) was killed twice after death, coming back more vicious than before. He was known to drink the blood of his victims. He was finally killed once and for all with a sword made of yew wood Mm -hmm. and his head was placed facing down in his grave, which we're going to come across again. And his grave was surrounded by large thorns with a large rock placed on top of the grave so he could not get out. Even if he somehow alived himself again. (laughs) Right. He is not Hercules. He's a small dwarf. He can't Mm -hmm. get past that big old rock. He has not risen since. So it is actually argued that a lot of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I'm going to get into later on, was influenced by the Avartok. Okay. In China, the Jiangxi are a little worse for wear. (laughs) After having died a violent or unnatural death, the undead, they hop around rather than walk, which is creepy. I do not want to see a hopping ghost. I do not want to see a hopping ghost. (laughs) That's weird. Especially if they look like (laughs) zombies, which these did. Typically, with its arms outstretched, (laughs) at night, they kill to absorb the life force of others and rest in a coffin or cave during the day. They Mm -hmm. can appear either as a normal person, if they just recently died, or more of a rotting corpse with greenish white skin, if they've been dead for longer. So a hopping zombie. Yeah. And they might have some other features depending on how they died. Okay. The brutality of it. They are believed to hop (laughs) because their stiffness makes it so that they can't bend parts of their bodies and their arms are outstretched so that they can balance themselves (laughs) as they hop. So rigor mortis did not go away after they (laughs) came back. Interesting. Either way, they have typically long, white, stringy hair. And you can render one of these dudes or gals immobile by sticking a piece of yellow paper to its forehead. A post-it note? Yeah. That's good to know. I have lots of those at my house. (laughs) Who knew that that was a way to kill a vampire? (laughs) So if you travel to China, take some post-it notes. Yes. You're safe. You're good. What (laughs) if that's like something they take from you when you get at the airport? They're like, no, this is a weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You can't have this. (laughs) You get kicked off the plane for having post-its. Yeah. Pijavaka or Pijavika. It's hard to know which way, how to pronounce things. Even if you look it up, you'll get 10 different versions. I, so yes. you have to kind of go with what you feel sounds right. <laughs> so forgive like us. We know. Yeah, we, we actually try every we episode. Do. 
Anyway, Pijavica is a type of vampire in Croatia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Slovakia. It's a powerful, strong, cold-blooded killer that typically led an evil, sinful life prior to death. Okay. Or participated in some type of incestual relationship of some kind, typically with its mother. Okay. (laughs) I would hope that's a very small portion of people. There might be a lot of them. In death, they would victimize their own families. Mm. It could only be killed by fire or through an exorcism if found in its grave during the day. Smashed garlic and wine at windows and thresholds were the only way to ward one off. Okay, there's where the garlic comes from. We're starting to see stuff come in. Mm -hmm. Again, another one, not quite sure how to say it, is the Strizga. Okay, sounds right. It's from Slavic mythology and Polish and Cilician folklore. And it is a female demon. Always. We're always. Apparently. We're the demons. <laughs> she was more of a witch that cursed people and sucked their blood while they slept. They were born with two hearts, two mm. souls, and two sets of teeth. And when they died, only one soul would pass into the afterlife, while the other one stayed to rise again and prey upon living beings. Oh, interesting. Sounds like a damaged life, though. Yeah, that would be quite the struggle. <laughs> I mean, it's like disassociative identity disorder. Yeah. The Kamazots, a vampire god in Mayan mythology, was a bat figure depicted as holding a victim and a knife. He lived in bloody caves that people avoided. He was thought to be the guardian of the underworld, and it had a taste for human blood and would fly up to the surface to feed. That's where the bat came from. Well, I, I didn't say any of this is in order. There's only no, so much I can do. No, it's just interesting. Each thing you're saying, it's like I'm pulling little pieces Uh-oh. that go yeah. into what yeah. we know as vampires today. Right. And then we have the legend of the Suquiant, linked to the Caribbean and in parts of Louisiana today. Oh. I mean, Louisiana. <laughs> we got to go. You know, we got to end up there someday. Oh, my God. I sent you the TikTok about the vampire place in New Orleans. I want to go. Oh, I know. Vampire bar. Yep. We're coming. Yes. New Orleans. New Orleans and Salem both have big vampire Yes. I told things. her we can do a two-week thing. We'll go to New Orleans and then we'll head up to Salem. And yeah. It'll just be our so fun. vampire getaway. They're also called hag. Yeah, that's witches are yeah. called hags too. Hag in the Bahamas or Ohige in Guyana, Belize in Jamaica or Asima in Suriname. Okay. There are regional differences, but the Sukuyan is typically a reclusive old woman during the day who transforms at night into a fireball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she could fit into any crack or hole she can find to get inside people's homes. Interesting. She would suck blood from her victims. Usually they would awake the next day and they'd have black or blue marks all over their body. Mm. But if the Sukuyan went too far and killed someone, they would either stay dead or they would become one. Mm. Okay. If they did die, like die, die, she would actually take their skin and wear them like a suit. Okay. <laughs> That's a new take. She would also trade blood with Basil, who is a demon. She was heavily involved in black magic. Mm-hmm. To ward off this witchy vampire, villagers would place rice around their homes or at crossroads. They did this because she would be forced to stop and count each grain of rice. So she has OCD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard this in other folklore stories about supernatural beings. If you make them count something, then you're good. Then they just like lose (laughs) their whole purpose. They're like, what was I here for? I don't know. I must count. (laughs) 10,122. They are accountants from life. Like, I wonder why they have the compulsion to count. It might be a curse that God or something (laughs) gave these evil demons that, you know, make them count a million things and it'll be sad and they'll burn away. (laughs) They're going to sit there for days. Yeah. 
Today, she is still mentioned in Guyana, Suriname, Dominica, Haiti, Trinidad, Grenada, and the Barbados. Okay. So she's still very present and in Louisiana. Again, those that I've gone through so far, they aren't exactly what I would consider to be vampires, but it's possible that over time they just simply evolved from some of these myths. People took pieces from each myth. But let's get into some early evidence, stories that are a little closer to the vampires we know today, but still not quite. Two of the earliest historical recordings of vampires that we have are from Europe in Neplock's Chronicle, which was written in 1360. Okay. In the year 1336, he mentions a shepherd named Mislata who was living in what would be now modern day Prague. He okay. died and he was buried, but he didn't stay in the grave mm. as they don't do. Nope. Can't keep them down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And each evening he would get up, walk around, and he would talk to people as if he was alive. And people were starting to get a little scared. They're like, this guy died. He's dead. (laughs) And then he just decided to start killing people. And it was said that if he came to your door and he said your name, that you would die within eight days. That sounds like the banshee. curse. Yeah. So they exhumed him and they burned his body. And during the process, it was said that he let out a loud scream and someone stabbed him with a stick. It doesn't say that they staked him through their heart or anything, but he bled a lot. Okay. And then everything stopped. Nobody died anymore. No more people showing up at your door. The second case was in 1344, in which the same writer talks about a woman from Levin who, after being buried, came back and she killed several people and decided to dance on their bodies. Because, you know, as women, we just got to take it a little <laughs> step further. And we got to be a little more a evil. Little dance a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so they exhumed her body and a stake was put through her heart. Blood started pouring again as if she was alive, but the stake that they had stabbed her with wouldn't burn when they tried to burn her body. Okay. So they had to go get different wood from a church roof, and then finally she dies. So it has to be a specific wood to kill her. Back in the 1300s. Okay. So we're going to take a huge jump forward because that's all I could find from that early back that had been written, recorded some way. Right. Other than mythology and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. In the region of Istria in modern Croatia, in 1672, there were reports of a local vampire named Grando. He was a stonemason in his life, and he had a wife and a daughter and a son. He died in 1656 at a pretty old age, 77 years old. Okay. You know, of the time, that's... That's real old. That's old. However, local villagers claimed that he returned from the dead and began drinking blood from the people of the village and sexually harassing his widow. That's not cool, dude. She was married to him before. Why does Why has he got to harass her? She gave it all to you. You had kids. She wasn't holding back. (laughs) He was said to knock on doors at night again, and whoever answered would be dead within a few days. This is 300 years later, and there's still this common theme of don't answer someone at your door. If somebody's knocking at my door, I don't answer anybody coming to my door. No. If I'm not expecting you, I don't live here. Right. (laughs) But they didn't have like ring doorbell back then, and they were small (laughs) little like one bedroom. Like the guy could tell that you were in there trying to hide behind the one table in your house. And everything (laughs) in your house was creaking. Yes. (laughs) They knew you were there. Yeah. He terrorized this village for 16 years before anything was done about it. After a failed attempt by one man to try and kill him, nine villagers dug him up one night and found that even after all those years, he was perfectly intact, laying in the coffin with a smile on his face. (laughs) That's crazy. They tried to pierce him through the heart with a stake made from hawthorn, but it didn't work. It wouldn't penetrate his skin. That's the first I've heard of this. It wouldn't go through. So they decided to decapitate him with a saw. He screamed and bled and died. 
And finally, they were free of him. Okay. That'd be creepy when you start sawing off the head and it starts it's screaming. screaming at you. And it's a guy who's been dead for 16 years. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone. I just want to have sex with my wife. <laughs> I miss her. Okay. He was 77. His wife had to have been older too. Man. Maybe that's why it's sexual harassment. She's like, I'm old. She's like, you died. Leave me alone. I was so happy when you died. <laughs> my marital duties are over. I just want to lay here and read. I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean anymore. I just want to lay here and read. Talking like that. (laughs) This is Croatia. (laughs) I just want to lay here and read my book, dude. I don't need somebody like she didn't know how to read back then. (laughs) (laughs) I want to sit here and do my needlework. Stop like groping me. (laughs) Yeah, poor lady. It's all right. He died. His head was cut off. But where we see vampires emerge in an explosive way is in the 17th century. Mm. To people of that time, vampires were very, very real. Okay. Vampires have gone by many names. To us, they're vampires. It's a sexy name if you think about it. There's nothing else like it. Right. Can you think of another name like vampire? Yeah. Where did it come from? I wonder. Where did it come from? Do we have anything other than like campfire? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to find something that <laughs> rhymes or is like yes. that. Voluptuous. There you go. Another sexy name. V, these are these just kind are of sexy. sexy. Yeah. But throughout history, vampires were not vampires yet. There was no name for them yet. So everything I've mentioned up until now, vampire does not exist. It's just whatever that local place called it, called mm-hmm. it, or how they chose to deal with this dude who wouldn't stay dead. And their dudes type of now, situation. At this point, they've yes, switched, they over, to switched guys, over to dudes. And they're sexual harassers. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> It started since the dawn of time. They just can't keep it under wraps. No. Even in death, they (laughs) must harass. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're never free, ladies. (laughs) But in the 17th century in Eastern Europe, superstition was the way of life. Yep. Witch hunts were still afoot. Which we will absolutely go into one we of have these to do days witches. because it's important. It's a part of our history. It's not just witches in general, but these are humans also that were murdered because right. she was singing one morning outside and they're like, oh, a witch. <laughs> She's out without her male chaperone. <gasps> that cat likes her. Burn oh, her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway. But then came a new breed of monsters. Vampires. In Hungary, Morovia, Silesia, and Poland... Stories started to emerge of people dying, only to awake a month to months later, able to walk and speak, but were very thirsty for the blood of animals and people. Accounts of vampires were recorded by priests, doctors, politicians. They collected accounts of experiences with vampires on record. It was the 18th century that things got really crazy. In 1732, in Medvedja, Serbia, over a period of three months, it was reported that 17 villagers died from vampire attacks. Wow. The attacker was thought to be Arnold Powell. A very non-Slavic name. Arnold died in 1725. He had come from a Turkish-controlled part of Serbia. He told the people of the village that he had been attacked by a vampire, or whatever they called them at the time, and cured himself by eating the dirt of the vampire's grave and smearing himself with the vampire's blood. That sounds horrible. (laughs) He's like, you know, I'm just going to try it. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) He died suddenly one day by breaking his neck in 1725 after falling off a hay wagon. Mm, That'll do it. Within a month of his death, four people claimed to have been plagued by him and died shortly after. The villagers believed that it was him. They dug up his grave and found him intact, more than intact. He had supple new skin. His nails, hair, and beard had grown. 
He had blood coming from his eyes, nose, and mouth and ears, and there was blood all over the inside of the coffin. They decided that he was in fact a vampire and drove a stake through his heart, and after they did, he gave an audible groan and started to bleed profusely. They decapitated him and burnt his body, and to be sure the four who died wouldn't return as vampires, they did the same to them. Crazy. Six years later, in the winter of 1731, people started dying out of nowhere again. Not necessarily suddenly, but they became ill and died anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of months later and all complained of the same ailments. This is when superstition comes in. When villagers started to die, they blamed two of the deceased, both women. One of the women, Milica, she was in her 50s or 60s at the time and was seen by other villagers as a kind neighborly woman. But before her death, she told a story in which she mentions having eaten two sheep that were killed by vampires. I guess those sheep would have become vampires if she didn't eat them, so she became one. Okay. I guess. Logic. That's what we have going on. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> like we time. traced it back. Has to be. Has to be this. The other woman, Stana, she was in her 20s. She did that thing he did, and she rubbed vampire blood all over herself to protect herself, and it didn't, and she died. So they blamed the women, but as more and more died, the bodies of those who died were also exhumed. Those found to be in similar states were beheaded and burned. Just don't be suspicious when you're dying. (laughs) And they won't desecrate your body. They won't behead you and burn you. But, I mean, you're dead. I guess it doesn't matter. (gasps) How dare you? (laughs) The problem didn't just start with Arnold in Serbia, though. Also in 1725, when a man by the name of Petar Blažević died and then rose from the dead, we had some issues there as well. It was the exact same time, 1725, but different areas. It's never a good situation when someone rises from the dead. No. I mean, I haven't done it yet, but (laughs) I'd kind of like to try it. (laughs) I want to rise from the dead. Careful what you put out into the universe, Kendra. You're right. Never mind. I don't want to be a monster (laughs) roaming the earth for all eternity. Unless I'm on my deathbed, then please come and save me. Unless I'm part of a hot coven. I just need to know, do I have to stay exactly as I am now or will I be more sculpted? I want to be a beautiful (laughs) vampire. (laughs) Can you take off like 10 pounds for my baby years? (laughs) Can you just give me the perfect figure? Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, he was 62 or 63 at the time. He was believed to have killed nine people from his village in eight days. Not during the day, but at night. Each of those nine villagers before dying mentioned him coming to them in the middle of the night and suffocating them until they almost died. So he's just fucking with them. Wow. He's like, here, Torture. pillow over your head. Nope, kidding. You're not going to die. Just almost. Not today, but <laughs> watch out. But they fell ill and they died shortly after. Okay. His late wife, Anna, also said that he visited her to ask for some shoes. And she's like, you're dead. And she was scared shitless and she moved. <laughs> well, that was a very practical request. He's like, I just need my shoes. I need some shoes. <laughs> like, I woke up like, in this box. <laughs> she's like, you died and I sold all your shit. Sorry. <laughs> Lacey wasn't trying to assault her. Like That's true. That other he guy. just wanted shoes. I just need some shoes. <laughs> Villagers convinced a priest and a magistrate, Imperial Brumbald, to dig up Patar so that they could check on him. Why else would all those who died have mentioned him before yeah. death? When they exhumed his body, which was 40 days after he died, they discovered something very strange. He was still complete. He was not decaying. And he had shoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
damn it, I didn't get that answer. <laughs> Strangely, it seemed that he had fresh skin. Oh. Old skin was kind of just sitting in the coffin off to the side. So he like shed skin like a snake? Yeah. Weird. His nails and hair had grown as well. And not just grown, his old nails had fallen off inside the coffin as well, only to be replaced by fresh nails. That's weird. Both hands and feet. And he had blood in his mouth. It was determined he is a vampire. They drove a stake through his heart, and similar to Arnold, the yelling and all that, and they proceeded to burn his body. This report was filed by Frombald and is still actually in the Viennese archives today and is one of the earliest cases in which the term vampire is used. Okay. It seems pretty credible. It came from the, like, magistrate. Right. So if not vampires, then what? Well, there was an investigation into the deaths from 1732, from fear that there was a contagious virus being spread among these villagers. That made them come back to life, or I don't understand. I think they're what just virus. investigating the deaths. Okay. They sent a doctor, or rather Imperial Contagions Medicus, essentially an infectious disease specialist, to the villages. His name was Johann Frederick Glaser. He examined the living people and their homes and didn't find anything suggesting that there was a contagious outbreak, but he chalked it up to malnutrition and Eastern Orthodox fasting that led to their deaths. Okay. The people of the village weren't having it, though, and threatened to vacate their village if the vampires were not dealt with. Mm -hmm. To appease them, they exhumed some of the bodies that had recently died and found that those who had died earlier seemed to follow what was known of vampires. They were not decomposed. They were plump. They had <laughs> blood in their mouths. A few others, though, who had died most recently were decomposing. Okay. We're going to go into the whole thing. So those did not thing. Come, become vampires and the others were. So if you want to follow the logic for the Serbian vampires at this time, it seemed that you died. If you're going to follow this logic based on what I just said, you decomposed all the fun stuff, but then you were born again. <laughs> well, that would make sense with the other guy who lost his new skin, nails and yeah, nails, hair, blood, all of that. So the earliest people who were seeming to decompose, well, that was the ways. Yeah. Glaser sent a request back to his superiors and suggested that they satisfy the villagers by, quote, executing the deceased. They didn't want to do that just yet, though, and sent out some others to investigate. They sent out military surgeons and officers. They reported similar finds to Glaser, but went into much more detail. Five were recorded as being decomposed but 12 of them had all the signs of vampirism. They were listed as quite complete and undecayed and in vampiric condition. Wow. Gypsies of the area attended these examinations, and after their report was complete, they were given the go-ahead to cut off their heads, burn them, and throw their ashes in the West Morova River. The five considered not to be in vampiric state were just put back to rest. Okay. Which was nice. Yeah, thank you. But they became vampires later on based on the logic I just put out. <laughs> yeah, they just hadn't gone through it yet. They hadn't gone through it yet. You didn't take care of it. You didn't get rid of it all. They're coming back. <laughs> Because after this, if you follow that at the time, it would seem like the vampire issues in these villages was finally handled. But they continued to experience vampire attacks for generations, and their vampire epidemic caused hysteria and panic that went far beyond their villages. They should have cut off the heads of the other five for good measure. Yeah, those five just kept breeding them. But what havoc did these stories cause? A lot. It caused a lot of havoc. So they had vampiric panic. <laughs> it was the vampire panic of the 1700s and the yeah. 1800s and the <laughs> 1900s. And it just kept going and going and going. So these reports made their way to Vienna and Belgrade. 
The reports were printed in newspapers, and chaos ensued. Everyone was on the vampire wagon. King Frederick Wilhelm of Prussia became interested and decided to look into it, wanting to know if the reports were true, and he was told, well, that based on decomposition, it definitely wasn't normal. Villagers from all over started to exhume people and put stakes through their hearts and decapitate them and burn their bodies just in case. And now you're just desecrating bodies, like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. and perhaps bringing about other problems like demons and shit. The vampire craze spread with these reports were translated and distributed to other countries like Germany, France, and England. For Serbian rulers who were very Catholic, the idea of vampires was not ideal as it challenged what they taught. True. Before this, only saints were those who, if dug up, would still appear lifelike. Oh. The other issue at the time, for most of the villages in this area, Habsburg rulers were a new thing. Okay. The Habsburg Empire defeated the Ottoman Empire in 1718 and acquired Serbia, Bosnia, and Romania, which was a huge mixture of different cultures, languages, and traditions. And with the new addition of vampires, it was making it really difficult for them to turn their new acquired residents into Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, 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 no. It's not saints. (laughs) So they needed to do something about it, but they just weren't sure what to do yet. So some backstory on some people because someone needed to spearhead this vampire issue, but it wasn't who you'd think it would be. And we're going to get to that in a second. So here enters Emperor Charles IV and his empress, Elizabeth Christine. Everyone loved Elizabeth. She was beautiful. She had charisma. But her one job was to provide an heir and it wasn't happening. Oh, man. The doctors of the time were trying to figure out what was wrong with her and prescribed her copious amounts of alcohol. That'll do it. Yep. (laughs) It didn't work. (laughs) And it wasn't until five years later that she had a son, but he died at seven months old. Aw. After that, they had two daughters. The king was not happy. No. Come to 1725, Elizabeth is pregnant again, and just to make sure it was a boy this time, the king redecorated her entire room with manly art and images to influence her eyes, I don't know, to influence down into the womb that it shall be a boy. But I don't know about you, that would just make me want a girl. I don't want to stare a bunch of fucking guys while I'm trying to rest. All you want is a boy, and I'm just going to hate boys. (laughs) And at the time, like, dudes didn't realize they're the reason. Yeah. (laughs) You're not having a boy. Yeah, that didn't work. She ended up miscarrying. So instead of alcohol this time, they said that she just needed to eat a lot. Okay. A lot of food. They forced her to finish every meal and then some, so much so that she became heavily overweight. She ended up needing assistance just to lift her in and out of bed and chairs. They had a machine that that would lift her up. Wow. It was just crazy. (laughs) Elizabeth never gave birth to another son, but one of her daughters became famous in her own right. Okay. Her name was Maria Theresa. He needed someone, his blood, to rule after him, so King Charles used what was called a pragmatic sanction so that Maria could succeed him instead of a male heir, since he didn't have any. Well, that's cool. He let her. It was something new he created, though. (laughs) Okay. And it took years to get approval, but he did succeed with consequences. In 1736, Maria was married to the Duke Francis of Lorraine, France made that duke give up much of the land that he had acquired since 1718 in return for their support of her. Oh, okay. And Russia forced Austria to go to war against the Ottoman Empire in return of their support of the sanction. 
So a lot of people died just so she just could, so she be, could become, be a queen. queen. Yeah. And did she even want to be the queen? I don't know about at the time. She was probably like 12. <laughs> just kidding. She got She's married. Like, <laughs> I want to play with dolls. <laughs> King Charles IV died in 1740 and it was Maria's turn to take over, but she was not prepared and the king of Prussia knew it and used it to his advantage because Austria wasn't sitting in a good place at the time. He demanded that she give up Silesia, which is now part of Poland. She refused, so he invaded and took it anyway. Uh, you know those. Fuck. Yeah. It's mine. <laughs> a war resulted that lasted eight years. She did lose Silesia and part of Italy, but she proved that she was more than capable of leading an army, and the government and everyone else finally gave up and realized that she wasn't going anywhere. Okay. So she put up a fight. So they were just mad that a woman it's was a in charge. Woman. That's all it was. Yep. See? Dawn of time. With the woman in power hating stuff squashed, she focused on the vampire situation. In 1755, Maria wanted this vampire stuff heavily investigated. She wanted to know, are they real? Okay. So she asked her court physician to get to the bottom of it. He investigated and concluded that they are not real. Okay, how? And that the vampire panic was a mixture of superstition, ignorance, gullibility, and that the bodies could be explained by tuberculosis fermentation and lack of oxygen in the coffins with the corpses. Oh, okay. It's a very logical explanation. Very scientific. Today, we know that decomposition of a body can be quite delayed, actually, even for years. Mm. A body can remain well-preserved through natural processes. One of them is saponification. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but that occurs when a body is buried in a cold. I was just thinking like that kind that's of so damp funny. Environment. This was a cold area of the world. Yeah, Eastern Europe. During the saponification process, the body, like fatty acids, turn into this waxy, soap-like substance that would make people look look like they're not going anywhere. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And they also retain a bit of flexibility. But mm -hmm. we didn't know certain things back then. No. So Maria said, enough. And she put out a warning. <laughs> she said, stop this vampire nonsense. Calm the fuck down. We investigated. They're not real. If you continue talking about it. Off or, with your head. <laughs> or beheading the deceased, there will be consequences. Okay. It became illegal to dig up the dead. And if any reports came back about vampire attacks, she would chalk it up to pranksters and then the pranksters would be dealt with. Okay. And punished. So you couldn't pretend to be a vampire because the queen will come get you. Too bad for the real ones. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, Maria was pregnant with a little girl that we later come to know as Marie Antoinette. Oh, okay. Who ironically was beheaded. Yes. As all the corpses that Maria put a stop to. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was beheaded back then. But that was just the history of vampires in this area. What about the rest of the world? It is said that the idea of vampire in Europe actually came from India originally. Okay. From the Indus Valley. It was brought over from nomadic gypsies. Mm. In the third millennia BC, civilizations of the area, there is evidence of vampire cults and worship of vampire gods who were placated only through sacrificings and offerings of blood. Knowledge of these beings or gods through trade routes became talks of demons that mm -hmm. made it to Europe. And then morphed into vampires. In the town of Breslau, today now part of Germany, there was a vampire who was once a local shoemaker. Okay. He had committed suicide. For months after his death, people from the town complained of visits from him during the night. At first, they thought he was a ghost. 
But then he started to smother some of them. Again? Yeah. Like the other dude. Yeah. And with a grip so hard that it would leave marks. So they decided he wasn't a ghost, but he's a vampire. Yeah. So they decided to open his grave. Once again, his body was complete and undecayed. But this time they decided to dissect him. Okay. They took science into their own hands. They removed his heart. They looked at everything in his body. They cut him up to pieces and eventually they burned him and they threw his ashes in a river. And this was in 1591. We're taking a step back. Yeah. More than a century before the craze of the 1700s began. Right. In the 1700s, vampire killings were commonplace throughout Europe. By 1732, there were at least 14 books about vampirism that were published in Germany alone. Wow. How crazy would it have been to live during this time when vampires were considered real? real? That'd be creepy. Yeah. Anytime someone died, you're like, are they going to come back? It wasn't sexy then. No. You didn't want to be bit. It was always like the old dude that was the shoemaker that (laughs) might come back and sexually harass you. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't the young debonair, like rich man that lived up on the hill. Right. In 1734, according to the Oxford Dictionary, the word vampire officially entered the English language. Okay. In 19th century Greece, the idea of vampires was very widespread as well. Bodies were exhumed after three years. If they were decaying normally, they would pour wine over the body while a priest read scripture, put them back. (laughs) They're like, here, have some wine. We know you want some. You missed this. (laughs) Sorry we bothered you. But if they weren't decaying, iron nails were pierced through their hearts. Burning was a last resort there because most were Catholic and they're opposed to burning anyone who had received the chrismation. Okay. But almost anyone could become a vampire. So exhuming bodies was very common. I see this as somebody's money making scheme. They're like, we must protect against vampires. I am the company that can. Oh, there was. No, I'm just saying, yeah, there was an (laughs) exhumer who made a lot of money at one point. He was like, I will save you from vampires. I dig to put them in. Three years later, I will dig them up. I have insurance. (laughs) Yes. There was probably like something sold. It was like a package deal. Yeah. Some of the ways that you could be susceptible to vampirism included dying alone, committing a crime, being excommunicated, desecrating a religious day. You could also become a vampire if a cat decided to jump over your grave. Why do people hate cats so much? You know, to me, this is my opinion of cats. They are actually the true guardians and the most spiritual animals that we have here. To me, they're beautiful. And I have a black one and she's the most majestic of all. Everybody has always been scared of a black cat. Anytime we're told a story, think the opposite. Right. A black cat is supposed to be bad luck. To me, a black cat who comes to love you, it's good luck 24-7. And, you know, there's a reason the Egyptians worshipped cats. Yeah. They knew what's up. Yeah. Cats are awesome. I won't take the cat hate now. Remember, I'm an official cat lady now. She is. (laughs) I've been brought into the coven. (laughs) So it wasn't just the cat jumping over a grave. If you also ate the meat of a sheep that was killed by a wolf or, you know, a vampire like we heard before. Maybe it's a werewolf. Or if someone cursed you. Damn it, you're a vampire now. So we're going to desecrate your grave. We're stretching it. (laughs) So anyone's a vampire, basically. Once again, money-making scheme. Anyone can be a vampire. I have to exhume the corpse. You need to pay me. Man, should I just be jetted into outer space? Oh, wait, there's a firmament. New plan. (laughs) New plan. Fuck the podcast. We're going to start exhuming corpses. (laughs) Let's make vampires come back. (laughs) Bride of Frankenstein. (laughs) 
There's a new movie coming out. I do love that oh, movie. Oh, I want to see it. You know what? I was just thinking of Young Frankenstein. Did you ever watch that growing up? It was like a funny one. And The Bride of Frankenstein was part of that. I'm not sure. Probably at some point. It was a Mel Brooks ridiculous movie. There's one coming out with Emma Stone. It's not called Bride of Frankenstein, but that's kind of what it seems like. She died and someone brought her back to life. It just looks real interesting. Very mm-hmm. artistic. I'll have to check it out. Anyway, when Western soldiers were occupying parts of Europe, they came upon the practice of exhuming bodies and killing them again. <laughs> they reported back the presence of vampires. Mm-hmm. Nearly a century later in New England, which was the center of American puritism and witch hunts, right. there were accounts of vampire killings, much like you'd find in Eastern Europe. The term vampire was not used yet, but vampires were now being recorded in America. Mm. On May 20th, 1854, Horace Ray of Griswold, Connecticut, was exhumed and destroyed to stop the death of his relatives. I found a little bit more detail on this, which was neat. The Rays of Jewett City are considered to be Connecticut's most famous vampire-plagued family. Oh, okay. Henry and Lucy Ray had five children. All five children grew into adulthood, which was not Amazing back then. (laughs) In the late 1840s, though, and into the 50s, Henry and two of the adult sons, Lemuel and Alicia, died from disease. And in 1854, the third son, Henry Nelson, became ill from disease. They decided to exhume family members, including Lemuel and Alicia, Not sure why the father was excluded in this unburial situation, but they burned them in their graveyard and it made the newspaper. Did they give reasoning why they burned them? I think it was just still the superstition. Okay. So why are we all dying? It's a vampire. If you think about it this way, I think it's a mixture. Vampires, as we've started to term people who take things away from us, right? energetic vampires. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is kind of more that. it's. It feels like anytime just a bunch of family members start dying, they're like, Ugh, how dare you, you energetic vampire? Yes. Rather than someone who comes and sucks their blood. Yeah, we haven't heard that yet. No, we Interesting. haven't. Okay. Other than with mythological and, yes. and the demons. But the vampires here almost seem more like haunting spirits that, that make everyone in. sick they really remind me of the irish banshee because when you see the banshee that means someone in your family is going to die it oh, almost seems more yeah. along those lines than what we know as a vampire i refuse to read this entire story and not think they're there but yeah. they're in my mind <laughs> they are beautiful men and women yes. they are not some old 88 year old shoemaker <laughs> sexually assaulting wives <laughs> or some guy named horace come on <laughs> horace is not a good vampire name I think I've actually watched a movie with Horace <laughs> as a vampire name. He was the like not attractive evil vampire, right? He couldn't have been like Horace is not a, a hot boy name. The stringy, <laughs> like weird whitish blonde hair and the weird beard. He's like, I don't know if I'm a vampire <laughs> or a werewolf, but this is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> That's who would show up at my door and I'd be like, No, no. I know I said I wanted one. I did not say you. <laughs> Let me draw a picture of what I want. Can you go cut your hair? I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) manifest the hot vampire. Back to Connecticut. Later in the 1990s, kids discovered the unmarked Walton graveyard. They were playing near a hillside gravel mine in Jewett City. 29 graves were uncovered from both the Walton and the Ray family. Some were found to have been exhumed at some point. 
burned and then the bones were placed back into the coffins. Okay. The head was severed from the spine facing down and the femurs were put in a cross below the skull. They also found two other graves, not sure who it belonged to, but they found two graves that were put back in the same fashion. All three were presumed to have been buried in the 1790s. Mm -hmm. So earlier, this is earlier than the rays that we were just talking about. So that's where it came from, probably in their family, right? Some kind of superstition started. Yeah. And and then they began. uh You can still go see the Ray family graves today. Their plot is toward the northern end of a small old Jewett City Cemetery. The headstones are all in a line and there's still even evidence of the bonfire that they held to burn the bodies. Okay. Interestingly, Henry, his grave is not in this lineup. So he was the last of the sons to get sick. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason they started burning bodies, taking them up and burying them. His grave is found on the other side of the cemetery dated in 1854. So he actually did die. Even though they did this. Okay. So must have been disease. Sorry, guys. It wasn't a vampire. Sorry. But I do wonder why he's placed so far away. That's odd. Maybe they didn't have the energy to do it to him, too. <laughs> they didn't believe he was a vampire because they had already extinguished all the other bodies. I don't and know. Maybe like, they, he's just they normal gave guy. up. Yeah. Or maybe they felt bad for desecrating their other family members. And now he was a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we must keep him away so no one knows what we did. Yeah. They needed to give those that they hurt more peace. They weren't going to do it again. Maybe they got a lot of ridicule. It did show up in the newspapers. Maybe they were like the witches of the area. Oh, I'm sure everybody thought they were crazy pants. And so they're like, well, we can't do it to him too. Dang it. Or we're going to be persecuted. So (laughs) he needs to go over there. (laughs) We'll give him a proper Catholic burial. Similarly, in 1892, in Exeter, Rhode Island, which is one of the more well-known vampire cases in America. Okay. It was reported in the Providence Journal Mercy Brown was 19 when she died in 1892. Her mother, Mary Eliza, and her sister, Mary Olive, died in 1884. When Mercy died, her brother, Edwin, became ill. Believing it to now be the work of vampires, the father, George, gave permission to exhume his family members' bodies in the hope of saving his son. They just didn't understand germs back then. (laughs) (laughs) That's all this is. They were exhumed on March 17, 1892. The village doctor, other villagers, and the newspaper was there to report what they found. Mary Eliza and Mary Olive had decomposed as normal. Okay. So they didn't do anything to them, but Mercy seemed to not be decomposing as she should. Must have been a vampire. I mean, she did just die, though. So let's (laughs) give it a minute. And maybe her body's just different. Oh, my gosh. Chemistry. But they declared her a vampire. They cut out her heart and her liver, and they burned them on a rock, and they took the ashes, mixed it with water, and fed it to Edwin. What? He ate it? That's disgusting. (laughs) Like a tincture. They made a tincture of his sister's body. Oh, my God. That's disgusting, guys. He died two months later. Poor Edwin. Probably from... The germs that were on her body. Yes. Let's not do that. (laughs) They didn't understand yet. No. They didn't understand expiration dates, cross-contamination. None of this was happening And they were just touching over all these dead bodies that they didn't know what they died from. And then they're like, here, I touched this dead body. Now eat this tincture I made from this dead body. Right. Yep. I mean, burning should take out nasty shit. But he was already dying anyway. Yeah. People didn't wash their hands back then, though. But similar rituals occurred all over New England, especially in Rhode Island and the area of Connecticut that borders Rhode Island. The Rays, Waltons, and Browns were all cases of tuberculosis, not vampirism. No, yep. 
Tuberculosis was the main cause of many deaths, and everyone let their superstitions get the best of them. Yep. Same in Europe. Yes. It doesn't matter. Vampires are everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. They're they're everywhere. The real ones are just on yachts (laughs) having fun. (laughs) And laughing at all these people digging up bodies. They're like, oh my God. 1800 style yachts. Sorry. (laughs) They're like, can you believe this village is burning all these bodies? They think it's us. Don't they know? Don't they know? Whatever. We're daywalkers. They're the ones that are ruling the whole world. They are. They've yeah. been ruling since like the dawn of time. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Are we? I just want to join them. Yes. Let me put it out there. We're not special <laughs> enough. No. We're not. I'm sorry. We think highly of ourselves, but we're just. But you just crushed my dreams, dust. Jessica. <laughs> sorry. This is the whole goal of getting a podcast was so the vampires would know who we were and take us into their fold. Well, damn. Well, I failed. <laughs> In 1889, there was a girl named Nellie Vaughn. She died. She was never thought to be a vampire. This is a weird story. She was never thought to be a vampire before death. Okay. But after almost 100 years, she's now thought to be one. Why? In the 1970s, suddenly she just started being called a vampire. This was because of her headstone. It was unusual. It read, I am waiting and watching for you. Did she choose that? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe someone was fucking with her. Maybe she was mean or something when she before she died. I want a fucked up headstone now. Never mind. I don't want to be cremated. I want a fucked up headstone to scare people. No vegetation grew over her grave either. So okay. people of our time noticed that. She was never exhumed, but the legend still lives. Eventually, they had to remove her gravestone from the cemetery to stop visitors and vandalism. Yeah. Now today, some say she's a ghost. But honestly, this poor girl died of pneumonia. No family members died after her. But some 130 years later, she's still being called a vampire and a ghost for literally no reason. Because somebody she's, chose an unfortunate headstone yeah. graving. I mean, she's probably a ghost today because people started calling her a vampire and it's pissing her off. And she's like, I'm coming back to let you guys know. Like, I was just a normal person. I had pneumonia. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> she was like, that was my uncle's poem about like waiting and watching in the woods. Who knows who wrote that? Maybe she did. Maybe it was in her journal. And it meant something completely different. And now people are like, she's Maybe a vampire. Maybe her husband was cheating on her and she was <laughs> dying of pneumonia. And she's like, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm watching. <laughs> I know. It is a weird thing to put on a gravestone. It is. I mean, we don't know these people in real life. We have no idea what they were going through. <laughs> but death, since the beginning of humanity, has been the source of our deepest fears and superstitions. It's true. Death by vampires both threaten our mortality and they define our understanding of it. Death in general, depending on who you were and how you died, put you at risk of becoming a vampire in the past. Alcoholics, criminals, murderers, those who died a horrific death, murder, suicide, drowning, or from disease, bodies buried improperly or not at all, all were thought to be more susceptible to becoming a vampire. So who you were and how you died became the reason to consider someone a vampire and either persecute them or destroy their bodies after death. At this time in Europe, it was believed that thousands of vampires were running around sucking the blood or life force from people. When people died and were buried, if they weren't allowed to cut off the heads, they would use pins or nails to hold their bodies still in their coffins deep into Mm. the ground. Okay. Or they would cut off their heads anyway and place their heads in the coffin upside down so that upon waking, a vampire couldn't make sense of anything. (laughs) 
just in case they somehow awoke just with their heads on their head and they're like oh but they can't reattach their head so i don't know there's lots of vampire stories of them being modern you're right to regenerate blade but if not heads or nails the limbs would be bound together or severed completely as well anything to keep them from getting up and walking Even today, there is some belief that headstones had a darker purpose than just telling us who is buried there. The headstones back then went much deeper to pin the head of the person in place. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. When others connected to a deceased person became ill, it was believed that they must have become a vampire, which we've seen. Mm -hmm. This is when vampire hunting truly began. Oh. People would begin trying to stalk vampires. They would wait in cemeteries to see if they caught one. (laughs) If a headstone was tilted and not straight up, as it should be, then that was a sign that the person in the grave was actually a vampire and could move about. Or the land settled, but yes. We knew nothing back then. (laughs) Okay. We are all just dumb for a very, very long time. And you're for (laughs) part... And if you're a person who just likes to go like walk in the graveyard in the middle of the night, you're fucked. You're getting killed. (laughs) You're going to stake through the heart. Vampire hunters were real people. That's something we do know. Yes. Did they kill vampires or normal people? We do not know. (laughs) They killed the random person. Were they murderers? They were were serial killers. (laughs) They killed in a very distinct way. So fuck vampire hunters. (laughs) It became a profession. Oftentimes, vampire hunters were well-educated men who held distinguished positions at universities Doctors of philosophy, theology, history. During this time in the 18th century, mainly from Europe, they would take sabbaticals to travel Europe. They would visit archives, villages, cities in the hunt of vampires so that they could extinguish them. I'm hearing another money-making opportunity. Just some high society man who's like, ooh, I get to kill people. I'll be a vampire (laughs) hunter. But they would research where real vampire attacks occurred and go there like priests going to an exorcism. Vampire hunter kits became a thing. More so in the 1800s and early 1900s. But they would have a crucifix, mallet, stakes. Sometimes they had holy water or holy oil. Some kits were a little bit more robust, like having gear to climb or ropes and crowbars and stuff like that. For those who believed that vampires could die from iron or silver, they had those. In the later years, when they were available, they would have a pistol. Silver bullets only work on werewolves. I think there is a blend between the two. Okay. And that's why we get into the era of a girl can't choose between the vampire and the werewolf. Yep. Yeah. Happens. Underworld. She loved a lichen. Yes. And, and then also extra. True Blood. Yeah. She had to choose between Alice the werewolf and Well, she had to choose Eric. between so many. And they were all very hot. <laughs> they were all very hot. I'm going to talk about Anna Paquin in a minute. Okay. okay. But with these kits or something like it. Along with people from a village, vampire hunters would venture into graveyards, gear up. And sit there. And sit there. <laughs> waiting to put a vampire back to rest. <laughs> I mean, waiting a long time, dude. Yeah. The cross became a universal weapon against the vampire when the thought of demons who saw blood clashed with Christianity. As the cross represents the triumph of good over evil. So what are the ways throughout history you could ward off a vampire? I mean, we know most of them, but we'll Mm -hmm. go through a few. Garlic was a popular option. It was believed that garlic would overwhelm the corpse and frighten it away. So people would hang bushels of garlic outside their doors and windows. 
Another option was placing a bowl of salt or a broom behind a door. Again, as it was believed, they had to count every grain of salt or every (laughs) bristle on a broom before they could enter a home. Or you surround the entire perimeter of your home with salt, which makes much more sense. Yeah, that would take them longer. Here's a bowl. Oh, I didn't see the bowl. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I just, oops, I kicked it over. Sorry. I went through the back door. (laughs) Didn't do a good job. Some place thorns and wild roses on their roofs or around their homes as it would injure them. Okay, so they're saying that vampires poke their finger on a thorn and they're like, oh no, I must go home now. They're like, this home <laughs> sucks. Let's go to the next house. My fingers <laughs> hurt. I'm out. I really don't need to be pricking myself so much. Some would use a mirror. It was thought that if you put out a mirror on the exterior of your home facing outward, if the vampire caught a glimpse of themselves or no reflection at all because there's yeah, that's the, both, right. it would frighten them and they would run away because they're so scared of what they look other like. Things. <laughs> other than physical things, some rituals and spells could ward off vampires. For instance, carrying a small piece of bread or wearing clothing blessed by a priest could keep them away or there were specific chants or prayers that you could recite. So just be ready to feed birds and you're okay. Yeah. I mean, or just have your snack. What about harming or killing a vampire? Iron is believed to harm a vampire. Actual penetration, or you could hang iron nails or horseshoes in windows and doorways. You can also use holy water or wear silver jewelry. Certain herbs and spices can harm a vampire. And as we all know, stake through the heart. Yep. But in most cases, a sure bet is decapitation and burning the body. Taking the head off is kind of going to stop everything. A stake through the heart just feels not as, I don't know, messy compared to decapitation and burning. Like that's a whole job. There's a lot of people going back and handling corpses in this time. <laughs> no. Ew. There what was so obsession? much stuff going on what back then. obsession with corpses? There's so many people I hear, I wanted to live during this time. I'm like, I did not. No. And now's not great either. But what I didn't want to live through is disease, random murderers, just nastiness. This is just a nasty time to be about. Right. And no indoor plumbing. I need no. hot water and I'm a toilet. Sorry. Come on. Why would you want to live during the 1800s? That makes no sense. No, no, no. I'm good. I did like their fashion back then. I get that, like the pretty dresses and everything like that. But no. once again, you're living in the Victorian era wearing all these big dresses and you don't have air conditioning. You don't have plumbing. You don't have tampons. Nasty. <laughs> Yeah, you got to just sit in bed with like a (laughs) towel under you for three days. No, if you told me you only have to dress up like that once a month to go to our our ball or whatever. Sure. But every day. Every day in a corset in a million layers. Yeah, that would suck. Hell no. I'm the barefooted witch. I do not want to wear that. I am sitting here in my like stretchy leggings. and The only reason leggings exist is because women are like, screw you. I don't want to be uncomfortable all day long. Yep. I do enough. I don't need to do anything else. And now that's all we wear. Yes. Because it's it's the closest thing to feeling naked. Yes. With some tummy control. (laughs) Yeah, that always helps. And butt. A butt lift butt and, up. and a little bit of tummy control. <laughs> it tucks it all in. It's what jeans used to do, but jeans are way too constricting. Jeans suck now. I can't wear jeans I after. I can't find a single pair of jeans that I like anymore. After COVID, I'm like, fuck jeans. But what we haven't covered yet is why so many believed that by killing a vampire, it would stop the illness of others plagued by it. Right. Well, if you consider those who have died from tuberculosis, even the corpses then were contagious. Um, So burning them did help in stopping the spread. 
So word there probably got out and it became a normal thing to do. That makes sense. They didn't know what tuberculosis was. They just knew sickness would spread and typically they knew who started it in a certain village and who became victims afterwards. So it all played into this theory of the vampire. Once again, they didn't understand germs. Right. More recently, thanks to premature burials happening a little too often in the 19th century, the vampire panic continued. In Cribblegate, England, a girl, Constance Swintney, was buried alive when she fell into a coma. They thought she was dead. Oh, no. Later, the caretaker of the cemetery opened her coffin because he knew that when she was put to rest, she had a very valuable ring on mm. that he wanted to Oh, it's a grave steal. digger. Yep. But when he opened her coffin, she woke up. She's like, hey. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck? You can't take my ring. <laughs> Once the story got out, a new panic began. Of course. The fear yeah. of being buried alive. Oh, okay. This is when people began installing devices in their coffins that would sound a warning to let someone know just in case they were buried alive. If they woke up, it would like ring a bell above (laughs) their grave. I just think, why not put air in there? Do we not do this today? Because do people get buried alive today? People show up in morgues? Yes. I mean, the werewolf of Angarsk. That woman woke up in the morgue. Yep. Why'd we stop is what I'm saying. I know. Why? Now I have a new fear unlocked. Thank sorry. you. <laughs> you're, it's all right. You're being cremated. You'll die before you actually I'll just realize burn you're dead. <laughs> I'm like, no. And it'll be too late. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to do if they put you into that inferno and they hear screaming? They're like, oh, too shit. late. <laughs> oh, well. The employees look at each other and they're like, we'll never talk about this again. I mean, she's <laughs> just going to die in two seconds if we take her out anyway. <laughs> like I said, new fear unlocked. Thank you. You're welcome. I needed more anxiety in my life. But it's believed that this happened with some of the people from the 1700s who died from disease. That in reality, they actually just fell into a coma and were buried prematurely only to rise again. And that which would I also don't believe, though. But the that would explain described. why they said some of those people's like their hair and their nails and things had grown. That would happen if you were in a coma. I'm going to cover that in a minute, too. There is a reason for that. Okay. What about the nails that fell off? That was just a badly told story or an exaggeration. (laughs) Either way, no one had the science back then for any of this. And reports became the foundation for the acceptance of vampires for centuries until modern medicine figured most of it out. Yeah. The theory of the vampire, if you choose not to believe in them, then this is really a far-reaching theory that tries to explain all kinds of things associated with death and decomposition. Today, we can explain away almost everything that for centuries people experienced when exhuming a body and connecting it to a vampire. Okay. Most of this is simply from just not knowing what a body goes through after it dies. We discussed decomposition a little bit when it came to the appearance of the skin and lack of decay, but another reason they believed a body was not dead dead was the pliability of their limbs. Mm -hmm. They were flexible. Now we know that rigor mortis is just temporary. Right. Another point of evidence used was the blood. They found that their blood was liquid, and that was another sign that someone was a vampire, but we know today that, yes, blood coagulates, But just like with rigor mortis, it returns to a liquid state after some time. Okay. The hair and nails, which we just talked about a second ago, I'm going to push the new nails and skin aside. Okay. (laughs) For a second. That was just a A lie. Yeah. Or real. (laughs) Or that was a real vampire. Or that was a real vampire. But accounts where nails and hair were said to have grown out more, this can also be explained. Because it's really more an illusion. Okay. When the skin dehydrates, it pulls back. 
Oh, that makes sense. So nails seem longer. The skin pulls away from hair follicles as well, which makes it seem longer. And especially accounts where they said, oh, well, he had new stubble on his face. This is the same thing. It's just the hair. The hair was underneath Mm -hmm. and now your skin is retracting and they're pushing through. Okay, that makes total sense to me. Making them visible. Science is a wonderful thing. It is, but I still want supernatural. I know. But what about the person moaning after being staked? Does the body make noises? I mean, in death, we plump up. There's lots of juices. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things that leave the body when we decay. It's like a pressure bomb. You think about it. Mm -hmm. So when you're driving a stake through someone's chest, it lets air in. And it will literally cause the body to release that pressure up the windpipe where our vocal situation is. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't there. That was perfect. I don't know about screaming in the other situations, but I can imagine the body going, oh, it was bad. Yeah. But none of this science mumbo jumbo matters because the allure of vampires was all too real and perpetuated in literature around the world and how our view of the vampire today came into existence. Science came later. Yep. But we still believe in them because we want to. Of course we do. We want something more exciting than this like scientific realm of existence. Come on. Life is already too boring. Yeah, we need the supernatural, paranormal, fantastical, you know. But it's real. Yes, I know. I'm going to meet Edward Cullen at some point. All of it's real. (laughs) Maybe not all of it. No. But it's not just us. Why would every culture in the world have these stories? Exactly. From what we know from the dawn of man. Yeah, the dawn of woman, you mean. The dawn of woman. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Every single one of these cultures, none of them were talking back then. It's the same thing with the aliens. The same thing with dragons. Same thing with like all of these legends. They didn't talk to each other. And the dragons. I want to talk about dragons. Dragons is going to be a good one. For all of these things to come up in areas of the world that have never even communicated, don't even know each other exists. There's got to be something. They all had separate names for this at some point. Yep. An affliction that someone had that could cause other people to die. And now someone had to pull all that together from all the time that humanity was on this earth and give it a name. Yep. And now he's a sexy, very rich (laughs) person who can give you everything you want in life. Yeah. I'm glad the vampires are this now. Yes. Even during the craze, though, back then when we're questioning science versus vampirism, Vampires became entertainment. In the 1820s, they had plays and operas about vampires, which became a craze of its own, to start seeing ideas of real vampires played out. The depictions of vampires started to change. They were made into actual characters we could get to know instead of just a creepy figure that visits you at night and smothers you. (laughs) Because that's not fun. (laughs) Writers started to come out in droves to tell their vampire stories. And this is when we start to see the romantic side of vampires emerge. Okay. Some of the most influential and famous vampire stories were published in the 1800s. So I'm going to talk about a few of those. Okay. Because they are important. The first was Wake Not the Dead by Johann Ludwig Tieck. Tieck was a folklorist and an important member of the late Romantic movement. This was published in 1800, and it's a story about a female vampire called Brunhilde. Brunhilde. Okay. You've heard that. Yes. She is one of the most memorable female vampires in literature. This vampiress was brought back to life by a sorcerer hired by her husband. 
but she is driven by the need to feed on human blood, choosing to feed from innocent children to survive. Why? Why are the women wanting the children? I don't get that. I don't get that either. I If I come back as a vampire, I'm definitely feeding that's, on men. That's why I'm like a man made up that story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Women are going to want to protect all the children, not the other way around. We want to go feed on the horrible men that are abusing the children. Exactly. That's who we want to come for. In 1819, The Vampire by John Polidori was published. This is a short story and it was believed to be the first that was written in English. Okay. And this was the first time the vampire is presented as glamorous and aristocratic. Mm, Okay, so this is the origin. Which influenced writers to make their vampires seductive and attractive. And that's how we see them today. Yep. Varney the Vampire by James Malcolm Reimer was published in 1847. And it is said that this story is difficult to understand because it's very, very long and very unorganized. But it was super influential to other writers. Okay. This story is credited with giving vampires fangs. Ah, interesting. It also introduces the ability to hypnotize their prey. Oh, okay. So you see why this is an important one, yes. even though you can't understand something. Even though it. He, it was just his, like, ramblings. It wasn't organized. <laughs> Varney preys on women sleeping at night, but is also haunted by his actions and tormented by his own existence as a vampire. Okay. That, Very important story. Yes. In 1872, Carmilla was published, written by Irish author Sheridan Le Fanu. It is considered to be one of the most significant vampire stories told. He introduced the idea of vampiric lesbianism, which we see a lot of today. Yes. Vampires are very fluid in a lot of stories. Yes. But you're probably wondering, why haven't I mentioned Transylvania yet? (laughs) Well, that's because Transylvania is where Dracula is from. Yes. He's from Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was published in 1897, and I wanted to wait so I could tie it together and not have to go back and forth. Get it? Yes. That isn't to say that vampires weren't real in Transylvania. I mean, it's right in the area. They were very real to everyone there. And it's well documented. Vampires in Romania were called moroi or strogoi. There, they have live or dead strogoi. Mentioned before, I think I called it strizga. Mm-hmm. Live strogoi or strizga in Slavic mythology were witches who had two hearts or two souls yep. who fed on the blood of livestock and people. Dead strogoi were zombies who attacked their living family members and sucked their blood. Okay. But Romania had some interesting ideas as to what could make you a vampire. They believed that the seventh child in any family would become one if all of his or her siblings born before were of the same sex. So if you were a family of all boys and you were the only girl and you're the seventh child, must you're be a vampire. Damned, you're a vampire. <laughs> if you were born too early, no preemie babies, you're a vampire. Because you survived back then probably. as a preemie, that would be like really weird. That's probably why, because that's a rare, rare thing to happen. Only a vampire can survive. Yep. Also, if when your mother was pregnant with you and a black cat crossed her path. Fuck off with the cat hate. Doomed baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not just that. If the mom didn't eat salt, also doomed baby. Okay. What if she has high blood pressure? <laughs> They didn't know this shit back then. (laughs) Just come to America. Everything has salt. Why did everybody hate black cats so much? I would love to understand the like lore behind that one day. Black. How did black even become associated with evil? I guess night. Yeah. I don't know. We're just making shit up right now. But it seems odd. Literal. They're not going to be like, ooh, sun. Evil. (laughs) 
thank you for giving us shit to eat that grows from the ground because <laughs> you make them grow. Yeah. The sun is actually evil. It kills us. It gives us skin cancer. It does. I don't know. I would rather worship the moon than the sun if I had to choose both. I stare into the sun sometimes. That's not good for your retina. I already know that. Doesn't matter. I'm dying anyway. <laughs> because of the sun. <laughs> I'm already allergic to it. I know. Might as well stare into it sometimes. Be like, why me? Are you staring it down? <laughs> <laughs> it's a standoff. If you died an unnatural death, that's also a reason, which we talked about. Yeah. The same applies if you die before being baptized or if you were born with an extra nipple. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wild card. Or a tail, or you're just a little bit too hairy. So Sasquatch is a vampire. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's the most famous of them all. <laughs> <laughs> or if you like to talk to yourself, you know, witches, vampires. I talk to myself. And lastly, because it just seems judgmental to me, if you had red hair and blue eyes. I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that is Kendra. That is me. <laughs> this is why we're doing this so podcast. So we're both vampires. <laughs> You know you're a witch. I'm apparently a vampire. I'm both. Okay, I'm all. I'm all things. At the end of the day, both of us would have been burned at the stake if oh, we had lived back yes. in the days. Cause I That's why I said, I can't live back then. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. No. I could not have been like the good, obedient little it's wife. Okay. Lilith would have had our backs back That's then. That's right. I would have worshipped Lilith at the moon with my black cat. Yep. Technically, I still can. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it tonight. <laughs> I have my black cat. And she has a weird name, too. Sephira. Sephira. But Dracula was fiction, right? Yes. This is argued, though. That it's fiction? Yes. In the original manuscript of Dracula, Bram Stoker had a preface that was cut before publishing. Okay. In which he said, I am quite convinced that there is no doubt whatsoever that the events here described really took place. Wow. However unbelievable that they might appear at first sight. I am further convinced that they must always remain to some extent incomprehensible. Now, why does he believe it was true? Because he was a vampire. I'm just kidding. I'm making Maybe. shit up. <laughs> but we do know that the character of Dracula was inspired by a real person. Who? Or so they say. Vlad, right? Too. It's Vlad. I am always arguing shit. Yes. Vlad. Vlad the Impaler. Someone who is just as diabolical. Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula. Brahm actually never said that Vlad the Impaler was the source of his inspiration. Okay. Some say that Brahm simply knew that Vlad was just a really messed up guy at some point. And so maybe there was a little bit of inspiration because he used the name Dracula and Vlad has Dracula. Yes. They believe that he just liked the name. Good name. I mean, it's a great name. Good vampire name. Because none of Stoker's working papers in creating this book have any mention of him. Okay, so he just he just found a cool name and was like, yeah, that's my character. Yeah, he focused more on Transylvanic folklore. Okay. And, you know, Vlad was a cool guy, but I think he just pulled from all literature that he could find on anything relating to vampires. But throughout history and still today, everybody says that the entire Dracula story is based on Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, I've heard that. I mentioned earlier that I was ready to like talk about vampires and I found this guy and I'm like, I'm going to talk about him. Yeah. And I researched him a little bit and I'm like, no, I want real vampires. Because so wasn't he just away. a guy that like stabbed people with? Just in case I do want to cover him again, because it is an interesting story. We're going to skim through him and I'm going to get to the literature and the cinema that actually is what pushes vampires to the forefront today still. Right. Vlad the Impaler, which was a nickname. His real name was Vlad Tepes III. 
Vlad Dracula was his other nickname. Just doesn't have the same ring as Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> it doesn't. He even signed his name as Dracula sometimes. Okay. He was a Transylvania ruler who lived from 1431 to 1476. So he was young during his reign. Mm-hmm. He is considered to be a national hero of Romania and was a sworn knight of the Dracul. He was known for being exceptionally cruel. Oh, villain era. His preferred punishment of his enemies was impalement. Ouch. While alive. Oh my God. They were left impaled to die very, very slowly. Locals believed that Vlad had no desire to see bloodshed, and they saw him as a symbol of justice. I'm laughing, sorry. But he (laughs) could have killed differently. He chose not to. It sounds pretty sadistic. Yeah, some say he had to kill by impaling because he believed that that was the only way to rid evil from the area. Yeah, that's what he said because he enjoyed it. He liked watching people in pain. There were some soldiers coming in to try and fight him at one point, and they came upon a valley of thousands of people impaled surrounding his castle. I didn't want to have bloodshed, but his morning coffee is waking up and hearing. Oh, that's what I'm saying. He's everywhere. Like looking out at his castle like, yes, I've done a good job as oh they all gosh. like ride. No, thanks. That's horrible. That's a fucked up mind yeah. right there. Yes. Today in Transylvania, vampires are very real to them, too. Okay. Maybe not everybody. They still practice similar rituals today of exhuming bodies and making sure they are still dead. Mm. Raymond McNally of Boston College, who published a lot of work on Dracula, was visiting Transylvania recently. Well, recently, as in the last 20 years or so. Okay. He was there visiting and noticed a funeral procession that was going on. He followed and observed and noticed that they only buried this girl about a foot down. Okay. He asked what happened, and the villagers said that she had committed suicide. Mm. Suicide is one of the ways you become a vampire. You can become a vampire. He found out after this, this normal funeral, that later that night, some of them came back, dug her up, opened the coffin, and staked her. So it is very prevalent still today in some areas. Yeah. But how does a superstition last so long? It does make you wonder if there is a basis in reality that vampires do exist. Right. And like in some books or movies, vampires simply worked really, really hard to become a legend, but they still do live in the shadows. I want to believe that. That's what I want to believe. But back to the book. The story of Dracula was heavily influenced by the stories of Varney and Carmilla. Okay. Dracula was a figure of ultimate evil, but charismatic and seductive with mind control abilities. Yes. It put Transylvania on the map. Dracula is hands down the most influential of all vampire novels. Yes. And vampires became a mainstay of genre fiction. He wasn't the first to write about vampires in fiction, as we've gone over, but he researched the most. And wrote a really compelling story. Yes. Dracula created an entirely new vampire lore and helped to establish the modern concept of the vampire. Dracula was first adapted to film in Russia and Hungary in 1920 and 1921, although both of those films are lost now. We just know of them. Interesting. Nosferatu, a silent German film, I know was that released one. in 1922, based on Dracula and is believed to be the closest depiction of vampires of antiquity. In many ways, this film solidified how we tell vampires apart from humans. 
definitely more of the vampire we might choose to dress up for as Halloween versus the Twilight or Vampire Diaries of today. Yes. <laughs> the first well-known Dracula movie to us here was released in 1931 with Bela Lugosi. Okay. Nosferatu? Like Nosferatu. Oh, okay. It introduced other features of vampires we still expect or use to dress up as vampires today. Slicked back hair, the cape. Oh, yes. Since then, there have been countless adaptations of Dracula in cinema and on television. Between the Nosferatu type of vampire and our Dracula type of vampire, writers and filmmakers tend to make a choice between the two on how they want their vampires to be. True. Thanks to Bram Stoker, we also really gothic architecture to vampires. Yes, we do. Castles with high pointed arches and spires, void of color and light, forbidding fortresses, Many of the vampire stories we have today have gothic buildings as part of the story and are places many of these vampires call home. Mm -hmm. We see buildings like this and say, a vampire must live there. We do. (laughs) (laughs) I said that many times when I was going through Germany and saw all the castles. Jealous. These structures have influenced more than movies and stories about vampires. You see gothic architecture everywhere. Mm -hmm. It is such an appealing aesthetic that we can't get enough of it. It's dark. It's sexy. Much unlike the modern streamlined style some people go for today. True. Which I hate. Yeah. I work in part of this industry. And when people just want like flat nothingness. The modern. Yeah. Ew. Gross. (laughs) I know. Add some character. Definitely gothic is my choice. I want detail. I don't want lack of it. Yes. (laughs) We can see where most inspiration comes from for male vampires, but what about female vampires? And I'm not talking about the demons in Lilith. Most writers have inspiration here, too, because of Countess Elizabeth Bathory in Hungary. I have heard that name. Yes. She's interesting, and she's evil. Or we'll see. We'll probably cover her at some point. Okay. She was known as the Blood Countess. Born in 1560, she died in 1614. She was a flat-out serial killer. Ooh, I like female serial killers. Those are different. Based on the stories, anyway. Okay. <laughs> During her lifetime, it is said that she used blood for cosmetic purposes. Mm-hmm. The legend is that her and her servants killed hundreds of young girls and would bathe in their blood Yep. in an effort to stay young. That's horrible. But it's worse than that. She ate them, too. Oh, God. Because she believed you are what you eat. <laughs> It is a saying. Some argue that this never happened, that it was a witch hunt, and it was used as a way to destroy her reign and her family's influence. Which I believe, too, because they did not want women in power. Correct. They were considered a threat to political interests. However, she wrote about this in her diary. About killing and eating women. And at some point, she mentioned 650 girls. Fuck. Yeah. She was busy and hungry. And there were some 300 witness testimonies against her. Some claim to have seen the mutilated corpses, the imprisoned girls. And if she really did all that, you did not want to be a young girl in her vicinity. No, that's nowhere so near creepy. her. She's like the original Snow White stepmother, the yeah. evil stepmother that cut out your heart. Charlie's throne. That's yes. all I can say now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She was convicted for this in 1612 and imprisoned for life in a room with no windows. But rumors of her beauty lived on. Okay. And one of her jailers, who had not seen her yet, wanted to. 
And in looking through the hole in the door that they used to give her food, he saw that she was laying on the floor, not moving. Okay. And she died. And that's the end of her story. Oh, okay. That was anticlimactic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, 650 girls should be the climax there. Uh, yeah. That's a lot. That's fucking crazy. I mean, to fill a bathtub, it takes quite a bit. Of blood, yes. Who knows how regularly she needed that bathtub filled. And how many people were helping her do this? She had like four or five servants that would help her. And they were convicted as well. There is some crazy stuff in history that makes like our serial killers today look. It's because there wasn't surveillance. There was nobody. There wasn't as many humans on the planet. (laughs) You could get away with it. You had a castle in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you just go collect young peasant girls. But it was the story of La Dracula and Countess Elizabeth that added a level of realism that was otherwise fictional outside of the beliefs of the time. One other important figure Bram Stoker brought to us in Dracula was the vampire hunter, Abraham Van Helsing. Yes, I've heard that name. He was a Dutch doctor, an expert in the occult. Van Helsing was called upon to help destroy Count Dracula He used traditional methods and not so traditional methods like blood transfusions and hypnotism to defeat him. Like vampires, vampire hunters gained popularity and exist today in popular culture. Mm -hmm. We'll get into a couple of examples like Blade, who paved the way for all sorts of transformations in our thoughts on vampires. Yes. But Anne Rice's interview with the vampire had yet another huge impact on our interest in vampires. She introduced vampires as complex individuals struggling with their immortality. And started the whole New Orleans vampire. Right. Yes. She humanized the vampires and made them more relatable for us. It had traditional gothic horror, but also romance. Published in 1976, the book was an expanded view on a short story she had wrote after the death of her young daughter who died of leukemia at six years old. And who is believed to be the inspiration of the child vampire in the story. Kristen Dunst. Yep. Later adapted to film in 1994 with actors Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, Kristen Dunst. It took vampire cinema to a whole new level. And how could it not? Right. And not to mention Christian Slater as the interviewer. It was full of everyone. Like who's who of Hollywood was an interview with the vampire. Originally, the interviewer was supposed to be River Phoenix. I don't know if you know this. And then he died. He died of an overdose. They were actually waiting for him to finish another movie. So they were doing all the interview parts at the end of their filming. And then he died. Christian Slater, though, that took his place, he donated his entire salary from the movie to two of River's favorite charities. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I also discovered that they started a TV series based on this. Yes. And I want to watch it. It's, it's on, on my AMC. list. AMC. Yes. Yeah. It is on my list. Oh my gosh. But when, Kendra? I don't know. When do we get to watch these? I also saw one that I've been wanting to watch for quite a while. I think it's called Mayfair Witches. That's supposed to be good too. I've heard and of it. I don't have, yeah. No time. When vampires got into film, they took on another life. We could now see them and imagine them in ways that we couldn't before. Yeah. Hollywood wanted a sexy, complicated vampire, not Nosferatu, and we ran with it. (laughs) Yes. Nobody wants the monster one. Ew. They were almost perfect specimens with sex appeal, aristocratic stature, 
and wealth, but they were also damaged and emotional. And that's what we all gravitate towards. So <laughs> they were the bad boy that we had to fix. Exactly. <laughs> I can I can totally fix your tortured 600 year existence. Just let me try. And you know what? Maybe I'll let you drink my blood if you need that to survive. And that's what it was, too. And a lot of these stories, normal people had the chance of having these friendships or relationships with them. And oof. We wanted more. I just remember, and I don't know if it came out, I feel like it came out before Interview with the Vampire was the Bram Stoker's Dracula that had Winona Ryder, Gary Oldham, Keanu Reeves. And I remember the girl at the beginning who was like letting the vampire in to suck on her neck. And then she was covering it up with the choker. And like, she was very, of course, beautiful and everything. And I was like, I want to be her because I was probably like, I don't know, (laughs) 10 to 12 years old when I saw it. And it just seemed so like sexy and fun. Right. But I think she eventually died. So maybe it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) but like he would come visit her at night and she was his girlfriend and she would let him like I just said (laughs) see it was like very it's ingrained in us yeah it seemed very romantic we love some vampires that's why we're emo girls because we saw the vampire movies and then we wanted that like music and all of that goes together the gothic style I hope by the end of this all of you understand just how much vampires have impacted everything throughout life Mm -hmm. they really have just in the 30 years like the last 30 years alone yes insane which is most of our life (laughs) yes for instance Buffy the Vampire Slayer Buffy the Vampire Slayer pulled in all the teens. Yes. It was a new obsession and everyone had to rush home. They had to watch it or make sure that they were set to record it. Yes. I didn't have that as much because I had a really big family. What I wanted in life did not matter. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a lot of friends who were like, Buffy's being recorded or I got to go home and watch Buffy. Buffy vampires were both dangerous, but they were sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Like with Twilight, teenage girls chose who they liked more, Angel or Spike. Right. <laughs> it was a cultural phenomenon that changed the way vampires were portrayed in popular culture. It also removed the well-educated, manly vampire hunter, and instead it had a strong female lead. Yes. Who was blonde. Right. And a teenager, no less. Yes. <laughs> the series broke a lot of rules. It was a massive success. It also interrupted episodic typical TV shows at the time because each season had this ongoing theme. So most of us were used to a TV show having like a very short script that was just for that episode. Right. So she actually introduced the series long thing. So each season was one bad guy. Yeah. And that was the main point is you had all this stuff in between, but you had to defeat the one dude. Yes. But it also had humor and satire. Right. And without Buffy, we wouldn't have books and movies like Twilight or Vampire Diaries or even other supernatural television and films that weren't vampire related. So Buffy was a massive influence on a lot of stuff. So you're talking about the series and this is where, you know, we have the five year age difference. I was probably a little too old at the time to do the Buffy series or I was too busy because I was in college. (laughs) Um, But I watched the original movie that yeah. came out I was like in junior high and it had all the so many people people from mm-hmm. the 1990 early 1990s uh, but the movie was kind of I think a flop at first and then they made the series with Sarah Michelle Gellar and it right. just like took off but it did have so many people of that time yeah we were just looking it up it had Seth Green yeah I just, I, just I love him in all the had, 90s movies it had Luke Perry and which Luke is 90210 because that was also yep. my generation but now the Blade movies. 
I like the Blade movies, though. Okay. You don't? I, you said it like maybe you don't? No, I'm bringing that up in that way because I feel like Blade is overlooked. I believe Blade revolutionized vampires in the 21st century. Yes, because he, if I remember right, that was the first time that they could be out in the sun, right? Yes. The first movie came out in 1998, followed by Blade 2 in 2002 and Blade Trinity in 2004. Blade was a supporting character originally in Marvel Comics mm-hmm. in the 1970s, but he gained popularity really quickly. Later on, he started his own storylines. The Blade movies starred Wesley Snipes. And Blade represented vampires as a secret society. Yes. Operating behind the scenes of human society. And they were a very cool like group of people. It also brought about the idea of familiars. Humans owned by vampires to do work for them. Yes. Which helped them to infiltrate human government. Blade also took away the immortality of the vampire, not because you could kill them, but because we saw vampires on a genetic level. Yes. They were simply a different species that we had to figure out. In the movies, Blade was a vampire hunter, but he was also part vampire. Vampires were no longer an apex predator. He was. Vampires were an illness that got out of control. They were no longer these all-powerful supernatural beings. Thanks to the work of a hematologist, Dr. Karen Jensen, who I wanted so much more passion between the two and it never happened in the movie. It pissed me off. No. Yeah. (laughs) I think there was supposed to be, but yeah, just wasn't there. She was bitten by a vampire, but she worked to cure herself and found out a lot about vampires. Right. Blade also introduced the daywalker. Like you said, yes. Vampires who could walk in the sunlight. Blade could because he was different, but other vampires also could with the help of protective sunblock. Yes. (laughs) It was comical to me. I really thought that they could have come up with something better, but I guess you have to start somewhere to shifting the game. I mean, sunblock makes sense, I guess, practically. It does, but... (laughs) But what if you miss one spot and then you just explode? It's like, ooh, through my temple. (laughs) Silver and garlic were not deadly in Blade, it just caused more of a an allergic reaction. Right. And they made pepper spray out of it, which I thought was cool. I didn't, yeah, that was no, creative. That was creative. Rather than impenetrable evil forces, Blade showed that vampires were actually very fragile little beings. Yes. In the first movie, Deacon Frost, which is my last name. Yes. And that's why I <laughs> fell in love with the Blade movies, even though, you know, he dies. He was trying to wield the power of a blood god, La Magra, so that vampires could rule over humanity. He failed, but Frost was an interesting character because he was looked down upon by elder vampires because he wasn't pure blood. Right. Which suggests that vampires were capable of mating and spawning children who were never human. And that was a totally overlooked part of that movie. Yes. And that as time went on and pure blood vampires mated with other humans or humans were turned into vampires, the line of vampires altered and weakened with each generation. Right. In Blade 2, we have the Reaper vampires. Reapers were the result of trying to make vampires like Blade, daywalkers. Mm -hmm. They were super vampires that killed humans and vampires, bite paralyzed their victim and would turn them very quickly. All would lose their hair. They had pale skin and pointed ears. Their jaws split down the middle and their tongues became these gross like I remember that tendrils (laughs) that sucked blood. But none of the normal things affected these reaper vampires other than sunlight. Sunlight was still a big thing. 
In Blade movies, we saw both the traditional and the deranged vampire. And in Blade Trinity, the third movie, we have the introduction of vampire shape-shifting into other humans yes. and blood farms, people taken and strewn up. They had full blood banks. Yes, so there I remember. Was some, yeah. so much introduced in the Blade It was so creative. That it to, created yes. multiple types of movies that came after. And then others come after that. You know, there's a new Blade movie coming out. It's. Uh, I was just looking it up because I had read about it like a while ago. It says uh, February 2025. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> But it's not just vampire or supernatural stuff. I mean, in a way, supernatural stuff. The Underworld movies. I love the Underworld movies, too. It inspired Van Helsing. It also paved the way for every single action-packed Marvel superhero movie we have today. Because Blade was the first, one of the first. I think there was one more before it. But it was the first that reached massive level. They never thought it it would even go to the level that it went. And now, look what we still have today. It's just constant superhero Marvel stuff and movies. Now I want a better vampire movie. I'm, I'm tired of the Marvel movies. Give me another, right. <laughs> like another Blade or vampire. It's crazy that a vampire movie is what influenced the fact Marvel. that we have watched how many? What are there, like 30 now since then? I don't know. Massive impact in cinema. Yeah, it's crazy. But now we need to talk about True Blood because you brought it up. I love that show. I fucking love um, True I was obsessed Blood. when it came out. I love yes. that show. It was a huge guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I really want to binge it. I've been waiting to binge it for a long time again, but I just don't have time. I know. But it's been I'm on my same. mind for so many years. Like, I just want to binge True Blood again. And I love that the two main characters are still together in real life yes. after all this time. And they have children. Have babies. Yes. And you just have to love Anna Paquin. If you don't, I have no words. I love her. She stole my heart when I was a kid in Fly Away Home. And ever since then, it's just a uh, nostalgia of 90 movies. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. I fell in love with Alexander Skarsgård. Of course. All the Skarsgård. He's still like the top. <laughs> he's probably like top hottest guy in my mind. I just am in love with him still. You can't deny the Skarsgård. <laughs> I'm sorry. And and the character he played made him sexier. Like Eric on that show was just like the epitome of like bad boy, vampire, attractive. and. But in this situation, the Elena chose the Stefan. Yes. (laughs) She chose the good vampire. She chose the good one. If you have not watched True Blood, this series is based on a book series by Charlene Harris. It's called The Southern Vampire Mysteries. Yep. My mom's read them all. Horror, drama, humor, romance, Mm -hmm. lots of sex. It was a cultural phenomenon because it was set in Louisiana. So it's a different setting than a lot of vampire stories that you've actually seen. Right. And it was gritty. This show not only presented vampires as super complex emotional beings with their own desires, but there were also political and social issues along with a focus on discrimination. Yes. Against the vampires. Right. It brought up real world social issues. Yeah. And it also paved the way for movies and shows like Twilight and Vampire Diaries. True. Because of this back and forth between the humans and the vampires and these real relationships and everybody's just trying to live. Yes. All right. So Twilight, since we've talked about that a couple times as well. I don't really think I need to say anything about Twilight, but I guess I'll talk about it for a second. We just assume everyone knows it. Right. I went through each book in a single sitting. I was obsessed at the time. And I think I mentioned this before. I bought the first book for my sister. I just wanted to get her a book. Yes. I liked the cover at Barnes and Noble. And I thought she'd like the book based on the synopsis. 
And I went to wrap it up and I read the first page and I never put it down. I was same way. I yeah. like was sucked in sucked right in. away. Sorry, Lydia. Oh, and by the way, I've been meaning to shout out to my freaking little sister forever on this podcast. And every time we sit down to do an episode, we are it's like the end of everything. Like mm-hmm. this is the culmination of everything we worked for that week. Yes. And my brain is just like, whoop. Got it. And all yep. I can do is read. <laughs> yep. So if we don't have it written down, we forget. But hello, sweet sister. <laughs> I love you so much. I miss you. I can't wait to see you again and snuggle my little baby niece who just started crawling. Aww. Got the video last night. My sister is a super fan of ours and we love it. Thank you for your support and kiss that baby for me, damn it. <laughs> But Twilight, I get it. You love it or you hate it. I can't say that Stephanie Meyer is the most developed writer. I'll be honest. No, it was a guilty pleasure. Like, once again. But she did a hell of a job of pulling us in. Yes. She really did. It's highly criticized, the books and the actors. Everything is so criticized about it. But whatever. I love it. You can't deny its impact. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't take it away from her. Stephanie Meyer was actually the first to introduce the sparkling vampire. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sun was never an issue for her vampires. Instead, they just sparkled like diamonds in the sunlight. And that's why they avoided sunny locations, because they'd be too beautiful. Yes. Like Guy Diamond from Trolls. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you can't look upon my beautiful glittering face. And she was actually the one to introduce vegetarian vampires (laughs) who subsist on animal blood. But Twilight also gave us a family of vampires who were mostly kind and they just wanted to live a quiet, semi-normal life. Right. They were welcoming and they were lovely and they were fun. And regardless of what you think about the entire series, it changed the way we think about vampires. True. It really, really did. And it gave us sexy fucking werewolves as well. Truth. What is not to love? And all of us at one point or another, speaking mostly of girls and the gays, (laughs) (laughs) we were all looking out for an Edward Cullen or Jacob Black around the corner. Yep. And you and I are going to make it to Forks one day. Yes, I do. They won't be there, but it's okay. Yes. It's fine. It's still beautiful there. It's Pacific Northwest. I'm going. I want to live there. I want to believe they're there hiding in the forest. I do. I want to live there, but you know what scares me from living on the West Coast? Just natural disaster shit. That's it. That's the only thing that scares me. I mean, we're all going to die when Yellowstone super volcano erupts, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) We all die at some point. By something, but I would... And then a vampire is going to come, cure me, and then an alien is going to take us both up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We have very real... Figure it out. We have very realistic goals for our deaths. It's cool. Yes. So now to my other obsession, the Vampire Diaries. Yes. Sorry, not sorry, but I love... The Vampire Diaries, as I have made it very clear, it is one of those shows that I have binged actually a couple of times. This series is based on a book by the same name, and the TV series took the younger crowd by storm, but it holds in all the adults as well, because there's a lot of adult characters, there's a lot of adult situations going on. And I mean, Stefan and Damon, come on. (laughs) But the rest of the cast, they're all gorgeous, and still today, they haven't aged. They so maybe they are vampires. None of them. That's what I'm saying. They are real vampires. <laughs> and Mystic Falls is still there, just like Forks. Yeah. So we have to go to Mystic Falls. We have to go Falls. there too. All the stuff is still there too. Elena's house, all of that. We can go look at it. So I just love it. It has all the classic vampire stuff, the love triangle that seems to be synonymous with a lot Always. of vampire stories. The Vampire Diaries has two spinoff shows, the originals and the legacies, and they're both good as well. 
I don't know if a lot of people know that the legacies is part of that, but I don't. Yeah. Go watch them all. But what I love about the most recent vampire shows and movies is the integration of witches and werewolves and other supernatural characters. And we see that again in another guilty pleasure of mine, A Discovery of Witches. I haven't seen that yet either. I know. And I have the books and you stared at them when I first met you and I'm like, get them. Yes. (laughs) It's promoted as the adult version of Twilight. It's a witch that falls in love with a vampire, vice versa. I don't know. Just check it out. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Other than that, yes, there are vampire movies and shows that have come out that aren't like the last few I mentioned, like The Strain, 30 Days of Night. I can go down a rabbit hole with that movie too. Queen of the Damned. I Am Legend. They're all really good, but I can only talk about so much and I found a theme, so I'm running with it. I am ending with emotionally conflicted, attractive vampires who want human relationships. That's what I want (laughs) in my vampire. (laughs) But what about real vampires today? Because there are those who look to embrace the darkness. It is the way of life for many, actually. Okay. Whether it is dressing in gothic clothing or considering themselves an actual vampire and engaging in blood drinking rituals. This vampire culture is heavily influenced by popular culture. Rather than waiting for a vampire to come and turn them, they turn themselves and live as vampires as closely as they can without actually killing. It is role-playing, essentially, but there are those that truly do identify as vampires and claim to be true, real vampires. Interesting. Essentially claiming that they do need blood to survive is the point. Maybe some of them are real vampires. And they just hide amongst the gothy community. Or they're tired of hiding. They're like, I'm one. And 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 everybody's like, ha ha, yeah, right. You're you're funny. Yeah. (laughs) This subculture is not limited to one demographic. People from all walks of life partake. And I'm not talking about the elite who kill for their own secret society bloodbaths. Those probably exist and we'll never know. Oh, they definitely do exist. And it's unimaginable. Yes. But there are those that consider themselves open vampires. There was a whole shop when I went to Salem, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and they would wear fangs. Or maybe they were their real teeth. I don't know. Yeah. And they have the vampire ball that we're going to go to. We are going. Every episode, we like commit ourselves to more things. We do. <laughs> When it comes to those that do participate in blood drinking rituals, well, if you're not really a vampire, it's risky business. Yeah, you can get some diseases. Right. You're drinking someone else's blood. There's a shit ton of health risks with that. Yikes. But this is a subculture that has various organizations and social groups. Like-minded individuals come together and share information. They discuss and or decide the vampire lifestyles in an area. For example... This is a real thing. There is a vampire court of Austin. Oh, I don't know about this. I grew up in that area. Okay, Ooh, tell me you more. You were not invited. I was not You were cool not enough. good enough. It's a social club of sorts that holds events and gatherings for vampires. Also, we have the House of the Dreaming or the Court of Lazarus, which provide a community for those interested in vampire subculture. Mostly these groups are positive and it's just a place for others to belong, Yeah, you know, with their interests and they wouldn't have that otherwise. But there are risks. If you're consuming another person's blood and you are new to this group and you're not aware of the potential of disease and other maladies that may arise in doing so, you're going to be in for more than you bargained for. I think so. So I feel bad <laughs> for those newbies. They're like, what am I doing? But if you've changed your mind to believing you're a real vampire. Yeah. You know, and you think you need it to survive. Yeah. 
It's questionable, but it's understandable at the same time if you really want to be a part of that culture. Yeah. But what science-based reasons, other than tuberculosis, might we have for vampiric behavior or known symptoms? There is porphyria. What's that? Porphyria is a group of inherited genetic disorders having to do with the liver. Okay. In some cases, people can develop hives and blisters due to sunlight exposure. Okay. Which is scary because my sunlight aversion has never been explained by a doctor. So maybe you have that. For almost 40 years and I'm still dealing with it. So for my own mental well-being in writing this, I decided not to delve into this. <laughs> All I needed to read was that there was no cure, and I decided to move on. I like I'm good. Yeah. This could explain vampires' reaction to sunlight, though. Interesting. In history. Okay. Of course, there's rabies. Yes, that can make you yep. act odd. Act out, bite, attack someone, and not knowing what rabies was at the time, boom, vampires. Right. Then we have clinical vampirism also known as Renfield syndrome. Okay. Some people who have this think that they are literally running out of their own blood okay. and they need to replace it. You may be turned on by the sight of blood. You can have a fetish for it. This is a psychiatric disorder and mostly it's an obsession with drinking it. So not just looking Seeing at it, it yeah. or causing it. And probably something serial killers do have. It yes. is rare, but it exists. We will probably cover some. I've seen them when I've been looking for stories yeah. about them. Not only cannibals, but drinking the blood. So I think it can explain many of these vampires of ghosts' pasts. Yeah. It's just another way to look at things. But these scientific explanations do not cover everything about vampires, specifically the supernatural aspects that we have of vampires over time. Immortality. Right. Flight. Super strength. Mind control transformation into other creatures being super sexy i mean i'm just kidding <laughs> we have super sexy humans but by living forever vampires represent a rejection of the natural order of life and death their immortality is the most seductive thing about them but as we see it comes at a great cost right human lives vampires serve as a powerful symbol of human fears and desires it has resonated across time and culture since the beginning of documented mankind. Right. So we continue to immortalize them. The vampire has undergone many transformations throughout history. As long as we continue to struggle with our own mortality and search for the meaning of life, vampires will always be of interest to us. Makes sense. The fictional vampire has achieved real immortality in our imaginations, and it will continue forever. And so I'm going to leave the question unanswered. Were or are vampires real? Either way, after everything I've said today, I don't think I can deny the way in which vampires have impacted our lives today. No. Literally we'll everything. Continue to, and I will always be fascinated. And I haven't even touched some of it. Give me all the movies. Give me all the books. The fashion. The fashion. The music. The music. The, I just want to live in that gothic style after being in Salem and just be part of that community. I, I see the allure of it. Like to say you want to be a vampire. Yeah. I, I totally get it. But I also have to like work in the regular yep. straight lace world and I can't show up in like vampire attire. So <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. I very much enjoyed this episode. <laughs> Thank you for bringing the vampire genre to life and understanding like the history. And then we get to talk about all the fun, you know, things that we all associate with vampires. But it is very interesting to see like how the metamorphosis was Crazy. from them just being like this creature. And honestly. we're literally talking about hundreds of years that this goes back. Yeah. What are they going to be like in another hundred years? Crabs. 
Just kidding. <laughs> We're all going to evolve into light. We're just going to be light beings. We're going back to the ocean. <laughs> Amoebas. <laughs> With things. <laughs> I definitely romanticize the idea of the vampires. I can't help it. It Absolutely. I think it's just because it all started hitting and it started with Interview with the Vampire and Bram Stoker's Dracula for me and maybe even Lost Boys, although that wasn't very romanticized. But <laughs> it wasn't, but at it's all. just... It just was cool. It was cool. And it was... Of the time, popular right. dudes playing the and vampires. I remember, like, I must have been like six to eight because it's just kind of a distant memory. But I watched something on TV with my parents and it was a black and white show about a vampire showing up at this girl's door and having mm. to invite him in. I'd, I'd have to look it up and see. But I remember it kind of scaring me and me wondering if a vampire would show up. It was like a mini series, you know, back when they did those. Maybe it wasn't black and white, but there was a mini series when I was yeah. like six to eight that I watched and that was like my first introduction to the idea of a vampire. That's why I don't invite anybody into my house. I don't trust you. Right. That's exactly. I remember being a little because I'm an anxious person and therefore I was an anxious kid. I'm one of those people. If you come to my door, I like have it open like half an inch. You're like, who are you? (laughs) If I open the door (laughs) is another story. Well, this was a great episode and getting us ready for Halloween and thinking about all of the lore behind it. I am going to be delving into some more things like that on the next episode. Yeah, I'm excited for yours. Yes. And we'll talk more about Halloween and the origins of Halloween. So this is hopefully very interesting to you guys. It was very Of course, you love vampires. Come on, who doesn't? (laughs) It's very fun to research these kind of cases. Mm -hmm. I guess they're not really a case, but... We, we need a break from true crime, so. We do. Yes, we did that for the last two episodes. So this was lighthearted, even though we're talking about creatures that suck your blood. But <laughs> but they're hot. They're hot. And go watch all the movies because they're still relevant today. Yes, and really go fun. watch some good vampire movies. I want to start True Blood again right now. I love so True Blood. Anyways, uh, you guys know where to find us. We're on all the social media sites, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. All at Lucid Lab Podcast. Send in your listener lab reports to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, please. please. Nice reviews would be very welcomed. If we're not your cup of tea, cool. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind always. Always. Because guess what? I'm sitting here right now. I'm looking at Kendra. And I love her. And we work yeah. really hard. We to work put very this together. hard for this. And someone on the other end of a earbud doesn't like the way we talk sometimes. <laughs> that sucks. But you know what? Don't ruin it for other people who might really connect with us. Right. True. Because this is episode 30. Uh, we did the damn thing, Kendra. I'm we did. We've been credit. working on this almost a full year. We have. In a couple of months, we will have been working on this a whole year. That's crazy. And this is not easy. No. And anyone who thinks that content creation is easy, whether that be on social media, podcast, YouTubers, all of that, like this isn't easy. People discredit that genre. And I may have in the past and I see it in a whole new light. So go be a blood sucking, sexy vampire, but don't be an emotional, energetic vampire. Correct. Be a nice (laughs) person. Okay. Stay lucid. Stay spooky. Happy Halloween. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I want to suck your blood.